little bit of Bald Mood promotional news before we continue to the main part of our podcast. As mentioned last week, Jim and I are doing a Kickstarter for the final season of Breaking Good, covering the final season of Breaking Bad. Uh, We're not doing Kickstarter of the podcast per se. We're actually doing Kickstarter to improve it. We were going to do the basic cast no matter what, but we're trying to add feedback features. We're trying to do more news. We're trying to get the podcast to you sooner. To do that, we're wanting a little bit of help from you in the form of monetary reimbursement. You can find out more information at kickstarter.baldmove.com. Uh, a lot of heavy lifting's been done. We've had a great response. We've unlocked instant take written reviews. We've unlocked listener voicemail feedback where you can actually call into a line and leave uh uh, auditory feedback for our podcast. We're going to splice in uh, next milestone for the podcast. Uh, and we'll need about a thousand dollars more to unlock instant podcast. That's basically twice the podcast that you usually get per season. Uh, as soon as the episode's over, we're going to fly to our microphones and we're going to spit fire for 20 to 30 minutes. Get that sucker released that very same night. So all you night owls on the East coast can enjoy it or all you Pacific Coast fat cats can enjoy it uh, that evening or on the commute on Monday morning. You're desperate to talk about Breaking Bad, Jim and Aaron. We're going to be there for you to take care of that need. We just need a little bit more money. We've got some cool incentives. We got t-shirts. Uh, we got some promotional opportunities. If uh, heck, you got a rival podcast, you want to get advertising on Bald Move. You can get that uh, for a low, low Kickstarter price. We got eight of those slots available. Two are already gone. Uh, get your podcast mentioned on our podcast. It's a great way to get tens of thousands of fans exposure to your product or project or whatever it is. Again, uh, if nothing else, just check out our project page. We've got a cool little video that explains what we're trying to do. I've written thousands of words describing the project and different stretch goals uh, we're trying to reach. Uh, but follow along. We've got a couple more fun ones. Top level reward. We're going to unlock a Monday evening podcast. That's advancing our podcast schedule a whole calendar day if we can get to the tippy top. So please, if you can help us get there, check out kickstarter.baldmove.com or kick on the or, uh, little uh, Kickstarter banner on baldmove.com. Every little bit helps, and we appreciate your consideration of our project in advance. On to the podcast. Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. What the hell is that? It's me. Casting it's me with Sasquatch. It's me announcing that I'm here. You're I'm here. present. That's a primal scream. <laughs> saying I'm here to talk about Mad Men. All Best right. episode of the season. What? I don't know about that. We gave the last one a 10. So I know. Both of us gave the last one a 10. Oh, what are you giving this one? Uh, I didn't quite enjoy it as much as the last one, so let's get a 9.5, although stellar episode again. I'm sympathetic to that, and I hate giving two tens in a row, but God, I want to. 
it was a really good episode. Uh, what was bad about it? What was worse? What what cost did the half point? Uh, it wasn't Too as... much splash on the entry? What? No, it was the previous episode. The previous episode was so good, how could you possibly top that? Mm. Or even match it. So I gave it a 9.5. I don't... Man, I... This is Don Draper at the height of his vampiric powers. Okay. I mean, have we ever seen him... I, we've seen... We've seen Don Draper and John Hamm deliver some epic mind fucks mm-hmm. in our time. And sure. we've seen him do some awesome client pitches. I've never seen such an epic mind fuck combined with such a great client pitch. Well, no, this was a terrible client pitch, right? Like, all no, he wasn't. did was eke out another 10000 out of this guy. That he, guy he did, wasn't going to give him shit. I get that. But even Don said that was the best that could be done here. And it was awesome. I mean, but but every other time he totally wins the client. He's like the client is sucking his dick on the way out the door. This time they he acquiesced to for the sake of a dead man. Yeah, I'm just saying that that scene. It just oh man, I don't. It, I, yes, not to take anything away from that scene. It sucked all the oxygen out of the room in my in my house. It sucked it out of my lungs too. I couldn't breathe during that scene. Yeah. I felt like Ted. Yeah. Because I'm like, where the fuck? I mean, we we need to save that for the cast. We do, we do. Yeah. <laughs> but holy shit! I should probably mention which episode we're talking about. It's season six, episode twelve, "The Quality of Mercy." Uh, for you people who blindly click podcasts without reading the title of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, what number are you giving it? Full ten? Man, ah, uh, yeah, I'll give it a full ten. I think this is full record 10. number of tens I've handed out this season, <laughs> and I feel con- self consciously like. Like, okay, um, is this when I'm listening to other Walking Dead podcasts and they're handing out nines and tens? Is is this what I sound like? Yeah, to yeah. people that are kind of dissatisfied with this season because it would be if the season weren't so freaking good. Yeah, but there are a couple missteps, but for the most part, man, this is shaping up to be one of my favorite seasons. Like I've never uh-huh. fi- liked something as much as I like season three. Yeah. Season five, I love. Season five was strong, but I still still think season three. Uh, this is just amazing. I, I I understand some people are like, well, we're bored with Don, blah blah blah. I actually think this was, mm-hmm. and I said this on Facebook. This is Matt Weiner's middle finger to everybody saying we're bored of Don Draper and you can't do anything new with his character. Uh huh. No, he's going to take everything from Don before yeah. it's over. Oh, everything yeah. that's important to him. Deep he, into his core. When does he take Bobby? Because Bobby still seems to like Don. <laughs> He's taking Sally. I think the next pin to knock over is Bobby. Mm. That's going to mm. be a tough one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so one thing I noticed um, in the credits of this episode is that the writers of this episode, I don't remember their names, they're uh, husband-wife duo, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, they have written the past three seasons of episode 12s. And that includes uh, Commissions and Fees, where Lane died, and Blowing Smoke, where uh, Don wrote the tobacco letter, why I'm quoting tobacco. So a couple of big episodes that they wrote, and equally big this episode, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the events that transpired last episode were bigger um, for... 
for Don, certainly. I mean, Sally finding out, you know. His, well, that was the, the prelude. This is on. this is the fallout. Uh, this is the fallout, yeah. To see, you know, Sally is taking a conscious step to get further away from this toxic influence of her family. Oh, yeah. And it's totally backfiring. <laughs> you know? What, you don't like Glenn? And... <laughs> Uh, actually, when it's pretty damn faint praise when Glenn's the best of her peer group that she's currently associating with, <laughs> right. okay? Yeah. Um, but – and then you add that to Don Draper alienating completely Peggy. Oh, The yeah. one – I mean you compare their relationship that was forged in like the suitcase and the point – and last, yeah. last season when she left and he was very princely and touching – uh, I mean, you see how much she means to him. But that's why this episode is so effective, right? Well, and it's the same way. It's like Don destroys the things that he loves. Yeah, he does. I mean, he did it to Betty. He, We've seen him do it to Megan. I mean, she doesn't even know it yet. She yeah. is like walking ghost. <laughs> she's like someone who's experienced a high level of radiation. And she's <laughs> she's fine. She's walking around. She's talking. She's going to be dead tomorrow. Yep. yep. He's 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 well on his way to destroying Sally. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's destroyed uh, his his business rival. He's destroyed Peggy. He's going to destroy Arnold and Sylvia. Yeah, it's it's the swath of this. I mean, and it's the the people that he's indifferent are the ones that make out the best. You know, your best hope around Don Draper is to be is for him to be indifferent towards you because if he loves you or hates you, your ass is yep. grass, man. I don't even think about you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm yeah. so glad to hear that. Ginsburg should be thanking his lucky stars. He did not draw special attention from Don. Yep, for sure. All right, why don't we get into the recap? Let's do we it. We'll have plenty to talk about. Uh, we start out with. Megan waking up to find Don sleeping in the kids' room, mm-hmm. and she goes in there and tells him uh, he's got to pull back on the Sally's room. Sally's room, yep. And she tells him to pull back on the throttle. She thinks he's just working too hard or whatever. You think that's a nod towards uh, Don's jealousy of Ted? The whole pilot uh, motif reference there? Oh, maybe, yeah. Uh, sure. How long does Megan buy this whole I didn't want to wake you bullshit? And then I, I feel like she's not really buying anything that Don says, but she's not willing to throw all this away. I mean, she wants to make that work. I never thought Megan was stupid, but she does seem completely oblivious to the possibility that Don is being Don. And she's not ignorant of his patterns. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they talked about it. Like, you know, when he was having that, uh, you know, weird fever dream about murdering the mistress last season. They were talking about, like, you know, we've talked about this and how this isn't going to happen. It's going to be different, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But yet there's these flashing neon signs, and which yeah. makes me think, I wonder if I wonder if we, if, if she really is the walking dead <laughs> or if she's actually already got something over on Don on the side. Yeah, I mean, there was that phone call. Uh, yeah, last episode yeah. that we talked about. Right. So maybe she does, and she just doesn't care about the relationship anymore. But I don't know. She seems to still be putting up a a better facade than Don is, for sure. I mean, she Although next they, scene tries to make him breakfast. They and, both look like complete shit. I mean, she calls at him, and he calls <laughs> it right back. But they both, like, when you saw her get up, it doesn't look like she's getting much sleep either. Yeah. Well, she said she was waiting up for him. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, he she certainly looks way better than he does at this point, especially in this scene. God, he looks horrible, and uh, he's just going to get worse. He's he's pouring himself some uh, screwdriver in the morning. Biking that OJ. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, so yeah, she tells him to stay home for the day, and apparently. So he do you does. think he like uh, called us uh, at dawn and be like, uh, yeah, it, uh, no, Don, Don it, doesn't uh, call into work. It, it turns out I'm a shitty father and human being, so I'm not going to be able to make it to the office today. Uh, I just got a case of being a monster. Is, is that is that how that it could went? Be it, yeah, I, I can see that happening. Oh God! Uh, all right, let's move on to Can. Uh, one of the most shocking scenes in the episode, mm. at least in my opinion. Uh, Ken's out hunting with the guys from Chevy, and they accidentally shoot him in the face. Ice cold wiener. I couldn't Ice believe cold. this. I I had a hunch when this happened that he wasn't dead. Well, uh, be, uh, because there was the interview where he said, no one's going to die this season. But, and, and immediately Twitter like exploded, and people were saying, you lying son of a bitch. Uh, because that's what we called him last episode. He is a lying son of a bitch. <laughs> and he may be, but he did not lie about that. Well, at least There's yet. still another episode left. There is still another episode. But when I saw it, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe they just did that. But I didn't think he was dead, necessarily. Man, I thought, I'm gonna give it a half hour. I still, as, as a gun enthusiast, oh god, at the range, uh-huh. and from what I see of the blast pattern, I really... I can't believe he lived through that. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's birdshot, but I would not want to take birdshot in the face from 10 feet away. Fuck no. no. I've seen what that shit does to a watermelon. <laughs> like, I'm, I can't, so is he going to, is he not going to lose his eye? He's got to lose the eye, right? It I, didn't seem like he was, though, because no, right. when he dabbed it, it wasn't like that your eye's gone. He I mean, still it's, crying yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just I don't know, man. That 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 was some crazy shit. And then the fact that people are trying to talk him out of leaving Chevy, like, okay, yeah. uh, you, <laughs> I, you got your balls cupped, uh, you got your wife's breast cup. Mm-hmm. I got shot in the face. Yeah, it doesn't even compare. And this isn't the first time that someone's pointed a gun at my head with these bozos. Neither. Yep, cover Good my eyes while I'm grief. driving. They're trying to kill this man. Oh. They're trying actively. Unsafe, Un, you know. Ralph Nader. Speaking of Ralph Nader, unsafe at any speed. Yeah, these GM or Chevy executives are unsafe in any activity. <laughs> they can't drive to a restaurant. They can't fire yep. any kind of firearm. They are lunatics. So I don't know how many people are familiar with Ralph Nader in the '60s, but he's basically a consumer advocate at that point and mm-hmm. and through his entire life i guess right uh but specifically he was doing a lot with enforcing uh seatbelt laws sure uh, traffic safety stuff uh and so i can understand why the gm guys didn't like him very much mm-hmm. you know? and it's you know it's like so it's gonna cost them money i mentioned unsafe at any speed that's the book yeah. he wrote in 65 mm-hmm. um which basically was all about how resistant car manufacturers were to introducing safety features we take for granted, like seatbelts. Yes. And they didn't want to spend money on improving safety, which seems, in retrospect, crazy, because now everybody's, like, touting their five-star crash ratings and, mm-hmm. blah, you know, and, and people have kind of wised up that, you know, it's a good thing. Every person that doesn't die in a traffic, you know, traffic accident is, is, is a very good thing. Yeah, um, And these guys are like, yo, this motherfucker's trying to get us to put safe seatbelts? Fuck him. <laughs> crazy. 
Uh, and then in 1966, they passed the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act, uh, which was a law that actually forced them to start doing it. Uh, and Nader had a big hand in that. So, yeah. Yeah, they don't like the guy. Uh, they also mentioned something else called the Bataan Death March. Do you know what this is? Uh, yeah, it was something from World War II, was it not? Yeah. The Japanese so, forced march of, like, American GIs and Filipinos? Yep, exactly. There were They had some POWs, and they forced them to march some, like, 80 miles. Um, there was a lot of abuse that occurred during it, and eventually it was declared a Japanese war crime. So, so just like... Just like a, a, a just like walking trip. through the yeah with the GM guys, <laughs> a lot of abuses. Uh, Although thirty three, the thirty three percent casualty rate was probably about right. <laughs> probably, <laughs> yep. So, all right, let's move on to the next scene where Don's relaxing. He's watching a Nixon campaign commercial, and he changes the channel, and up oh, there's Megan guilt tripping him into oblivion. Right. <laughs> and then... Don't you dare adore me, click. <laughs> she's uh, fighting with the co-star about an affair that he's having. And then he changes the channel, and Don gets a call from Beggy, uh, Betty, who says Sally refuses to go to Don's house and that she wants to go to boarding school. Did you see how straight he sat up when she goes, I'm worried about yep. Sally? And <laughs> oh, then it's I like... Did, I did. Then he relaxes when it turns out that the shoe is not going to drop. Yep. What do you think his resting pulse is right now? Like 115, <laughs> 120... Uh, how much has he been drinking at that point? And smoking. What do you think it spikes up to whenever uh, he mentions uh, Sally? Someone mentions Sally in front of him. Uh, it's pretty high. Oh my it's, god! It's basically, like an Olympic runner god. at the end of a track meet. I feel like in uh, I don't know his his arteries are going to be as hard as PVC pipes, <laughs> and the sides of his heart are going to be just flapping like a blown out tire. Just from the, the cardiac stress and abuse he puts his body through. Uh, that's a, a great mental image. <laughs> uh, yeah, so do we want to talk a little bit about uh, Megan guilt-tripping Don here? Uh, he's clearly feeling guilty when she comes on the TV. And so guilty that he changes the channel. Well, I don't think it's, just, I don't think it's guilty. I don't think it's just about him tuning her out. Because later on the episode, mm -hmm. it's a uncomfortably brutal tune-out. Yes, like, yeah. he just... He doesn't even acknowledge her presence. Yeah, I mean, his his interactions with her in total this episode are dismissive, like, grunts yeah. and sickly smiles making a joke at her. And, and again, I've been saying this for weeks. He is he is tell, he is tell killing her by telling the truth. Yeah. Like, yeah. I really think when he goes, yeah, you, you look like hell, too. That is... I don't think he <laughs> sees her as attractive anymore. He may not. I actually didn't think she looked that bad in that scene. I don't know what you're talking about. When she woke up, maybe, but she wasn't all dolled up like she was no, in the I'm, kitchen there. I'm not saying. I mean, obviously, Megan is very beautiful. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about what Don's thinking. Sure, sure. I got you. Uh, the only reason I use the word guilty is because I watched the uh, Inside Mad Men, and that's the word that Wiener used. So, Man, what the fuck? If you got to stop quoting that man like it's gospel. I will hey, reach over this comfy a couch and slap you in the face. He is a he is the showrunner. He is the writer. He is the creator. How can I ignore what he says? He's the minister of disinformation. Well, he has Bad not Dad lied Joe's to me. Joe's got nothing on this guy. He has not lied to me about nobody dying yet. <laughs> so if we see somebody die next time, then season seven, it's on. Uh, you and me, Martin Wiener. Luther King would like to beg to differ with you. You and me, and we're so, going. And so would uh, Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> we're going Glenn and Rollo style. God. Uh, anyway, so Don here is also starting to let it slip that something's wrong between him and Sally. 
And Betty doesn't pick up on it at this point because it's totally new to her. That well, she idea. picks up on it. She just doesn't well, have she, all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, yet. she doesn't understand that his little slip up means what it means. And also, she's completely twitterpated with his renewed interest in her. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting little twist here. After their uh, fling at the camp, they seem to be back on good terms now. I guess. They're I not mean, yelling at each other. He is freshly intrigued by her, and mm-hmm. she is. She likes the attention, obviously. Yeah, she's got him on the hook, right? I right. mean, she knows how to better deal with this guy now. And well, I think she's finding a certain joy in that. And also, now that she's free of his daily bullshit, the fact that yeah. he is drinking himself into a stupor <laughs> every day is charming to her. Yeah, and it probably doesn't hurt that he's ignoring Megan and their relationship is in the pits. Yeah. Yep. Um, anyway, so the school that she's going to go to is called Miss Porter's Finishing School. Miss mm-hmm. um, Porter's is a very famous finishing school. Also known as Farmington, because it has a reputation for producing a particular type of girl. <laughs> uh, which uh, a, a bitchy apex predator <laughs> manipulator? Is that what it's capable uh, of producing? It, it's it's called Stoic, Aaron. Stoic. Stoic? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, at least in public. But behind closed doors, apparently, yes. You're a absolutely hound, right. cigarette grubbing, <laughs> uh, Matt Weiner, sun fucking <laughs> mess. Of yeah. femininity. Yeah, yeah, those girls immediately uh, made me shrivel up. Couldn't stand them. Anyway, so yeah, it's a very famous school. There's a very strict regimen there, and uh, they have a lot of hazing stuff that goes on there with the girls like we saw in the episode, so that's pretty accurate. Uh, there are, like, kind of classes there called the, the upper class. The new girls have this, like, subset of them that's called Oprichniki, which is... Like, the secret police that Ivan Terrible used. What? Like, yeah, it's named after them. Wow. And they do, like, all sorts of hazing rituals, like skull and crossbone type stuff. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like Sally got let off easy then. Yeah, Glenn yeah. Glenn made such a great impression. It's a good thing she brought the booze and the weed. It's a good thing. Yeah, good thing she had to hook up with Glenn. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, let's move on. The creatives minus Stan are brainstorming ideas for the ocean spray blends. And Peggy and Stan... Or Peggy and Stan, uh, Peggy and Ted are having a great time. They're just joking and laughing. Ginsburg, not so much. Ginsburg uh, is being ignored, so he pretends he has to pee to see if he's going to listen to anything else besides what Peggy has to say. Thought that's hilarious. Yep, good, uh, good strategy there. Ginsburg, get him out of the room at least. Plus, uh, Peggy doing a Kennedy impersonation is always uh, entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all we needed was Kevin Costner in there. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I'm Kevin Costner. Have no. you seen Thirteen Days, dude? I'm saying that you're doing you. You. No one can do a worse Boston impersonation than Kevin Costner. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to see him in there trying out his impersonation. Oh. Uh, no, Peggy and uh, Teddy've got nothing on on yeah. the the Costner. So this, this is where it's becoming apparent that uh, Peggy and Teddy have a thing. Then we go back to the Draper house. Megan gets home. Don's looking much better. Uh, Harry calls to tell Don that Sunkiss wants to go with the TV ads, but Don tells him to turn it down. Want no part of that. We got ocean spray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peggy's fear or Peggy. Harry's furious. And we move on to Megan and Don at the well, you're theater. Just gonna, you're just going to skip over the whole uh, 
I got good news. You finally found a hooker to take traveler's checks. And then, yeah. then Harry's response, why did I tell you that? So perfect. Yeah. I hate Harry Crane, but I love that performance. Yeah. There, there are a lot of characters in here that I hate, but I love to watch. Like Pete. I don't even know who the hell this guy is. Like, uh, who, who plays this guy? Oh, his name? I don't know. Rich Sommer. Okay. I mean, it's very underrated to play a very unlikable guy, but be able to still get that comic performance out of them. Yeah. I feel like there are a lot of cast members on the show that can pull that off. Like, I love to hate him. I don't hate him because he's just annoying and stupid, which uh-huh. is, you know, like a criticism I often level at The Walking Dead uh, antagonists. <laughs> yeah. No, no love there at all, period. So we go to the theater where Megan and Don are watching Rosemary's Baby. And they run into Peggy and Ted. Uh, having a good old time until they see them. And then they're not having such a good time. They realize they've been found out. And uh, Megan at the end is just like, oh my god, look who's here. Indeed. They shouldn't be here at 5 p.m. and they've already seen the movie. So, having already seen the movie, is it implied that they were there to make out? Is that what two grown adults are doing in a theater in the middle of the day? Uh, I don't think they were there to make out. They were there in an extracurricular fashion. That Just wasn't enjoying a... each other's company? Yes. Okay. Uh, in the way that Bob Benson wants to enjoy Pete's company? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, no, I don't buy that after this episode, but we'll get there. When they get home, Megan continues to talk about Peggy and Ted, and Don pretends to be uh, uninterested, and then he runs off to call Harry. Uh, at least I assume that's what he was doing. Oh yeah, who else would I mean, be he calling asked about in, California? In California. Yeah. yeah, they they never actually play out the end of that conversation. Uh, but when he comes back later, and he's obviously talked to Harry again. Uh, so yeah. So Don's pretending that none of this affected him. Um, of course, I don't think that's the case, as we see later in the episode. And this is this is a matter of jealousy, and not necessarily all romantic jealousy. It's a little bit of that, I think. Um with Don and Ted, but uh, it's also a professional jealousy. I mean, Peggy used to be Don's girl. Uh, yeah. Don's girl, Don's he owned protege. Her. Yeah. Uh, and now she, after leaving has taken to Ted and now kind of blossomed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. More it, so than she ever would have undergone. And Ted hasn't had to brutalize her emotionally to get that productivity out of her. He's been yeah. supportive and encouraging and, and I'm still like, okay, so I'm like a Don Peggy shipper. It's sick. I understand it's a personal character flaw of mine. So you want to see them together? Uh, no, I just think that there's more to that relationship than this mentor-mentee. Yeah, um, totally. You know? I and, think you're right. And, like, that's a that's a door that Don never took, but something that he kind of... I think they both wonder what it would be like, and I don't think he likes to see that door closed on him. And and I think that anybody yeah. saying there's not any of that in his motivation to destroy this thing is kidding themselves. I agree. I think there are a lot of. So you do think there. there is a little bit of sexual tension between Peggy and Don? Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I just hope Don doesn't get stabbed in the gut. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like a rat. So we go to commercial. We come back, and Pete is walking by Ken's office when he sees his horrific injury. Goes into his office. By the way, yeah. So, 
is there only a curtain on Ken's side of the office? Because he opens up the curtain and it's just a glass window. Like, what happened uh-huh. if he'd opened that and, like, Pete had been in there just furiously jacking off? Wait, what? Or getting a blowjob, uh, getting a bead from a secretary. Ken opened Ken up the in curtains. His office. And he opened up the curtains and opened up into a window with looking into Pete, directly into Pete's office. No, Pete's just walking by the hallway. No. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought that's Pete. He's not looking into Pete's office? No. Uh-uh. Okay. That I would thought, be weird. I thought that, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Pete's polishing his gun and jacking it. <laughs> polishing his gun. <laughs> and yes, his gun, by the way, is a 22 long rifle. Oh, jeez. And all that implies. Uh, it's only God. good for squirrels. No good. No good. <laughs> so he goes into his office to talk about the injury, and it comes up that Ken wants off a Chevy. He's done. Uh, something about getting shot in the face. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Pete offers to take it off of his hands, though, and in the process, he reveals that he and Trudy are separated. Oh, Pete this is, is the slavering. First... <laughs> yeah. He is his, his, he's drooling. You can see the, the, sl- the slaver dripping off his jaws. Yep. Um, is this the first person in the office to find out about him and Trudy? I, the, uh, Pete and Trudy? That we've seen, yes. Okay. Because I, I know Peggy had, had that thing. awkward conversation with his mother, but... She didn't really come out and say it. She was well, clearly plus, delusional. Exactly. And, yeah, and she kind of hinted that there was a problem there. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so Ken may be the only guy in the office who knows the true nature of their relationship. Uh, don't know if that's going to come into play. And Ken's but a decent enough guy that it won't go further than him. It, probably not, yeah. Uh, I am really glad, though, that Ken finally... It only took getting shot in the face, but he stood up for himself and he says, I'm off this contract. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. This account is dead well, to me. I mean, so Ken, he truly values his personal life and will mm-hmm. always put his personal life above his professional life. Yeah. Uh, and apparently, Which is I the mean, way a healthy is, human being should be. Pete seemed to think that he'd be laughed out of the office. And I, after being shot in the face, I don't know why that would be the case. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly the other partners don't exactly respect him as partner material, but Ken don't give a fuck. Yeah, he got shot in the face. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and what, the fact that, like, I, what do you want? I, I can't believe Ken wasn't like, these guys don't give it. Oh, Jesus. I mean, they get Ken no respect at all, man. Yeah. I mean, Roger's like, shiver. His response to your face getting happling off is shiver, shiver me timbers. <laughs> Speaking of that, he's got the eye patch. We know who had the eye patch last episode on Stan's right. wall. Moshi Diane. Is there any uh, kind of connection there? I just thought it was obvious foreshadowing. Okay. And, ret- and retrospectively obvious foreshadowing. Okay. I mean, as yeah. soon as I saw him in the patch. So, uh, so are you saying that there was really no reason for Stan to have that on his wall other than foreshadowing? I didn't see a single, a single shred of evidence about you know how that would yeah. conclusively play into his politics. I mean, there's a lot of that makes a lot Reddit of sense because we were, stuff, we were but, hemming and hawing last episode trying to figure that out. Yeah. And it didn't seem to connect. I mean, so. there, maybe there's still. I mean, shit. We got one more. We got the finale episode left that the Wiener didn't even dine, deign to yeah. give us any preview at all. It's How just about all, that? Yeah, the, they've never done that before, right? Uh, I'm trying to think back uh, to last season, the finale. If they did the, uh, you know, next time on, or if they did the. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a bunch of random crazy ass shots from this season. What the fuck yeah. are we going to do in the finale? Does it lend any credence to the idea that this could be the actual series finale? 
I don't know, man. I'm secretly that would be so awesome, but I would be so. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. I've got such mixed feelings because that would be such a baller move. That would be like a Chris Rock drop the mic <laughs> yeah, type of move. But on the other but hand, I'd be to... I'd be deprived of a full No, the way I and, and honestly there's an again, uh Matt Weiner's big fat liar. He says he's leaving all he's he's not leaving any powder in the can, he's getting it all out. Yeah. Liar. This Sally plot line is just begging yeah. to us to flash forward a year to see her in boarding school and how all this is playing out. And how she's metaphor. You mean they're not going to resolve all this in one episode? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that. um, This thing with Pete and Bob. Mm -hmm. I mean, this thing with Megan and Don. We've got to get another season. Again, creatively, I think that would be a a very impressive move. But selfishly. I mean, Joan is up in the air too, right? Yeah, I mean, she's got I mean, the Avon after, account. Where's that going? The Avon account and her personal I'm life. Very surprised we haven't seen more of that Avon. Like, yeah. now we're going to flash forward a year, and she's probably going to be well-established on the Avon account, and we're mm-hmm. going to miss the whole trend, you know, see how she's, you know, weaved her way into that. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. But I'm sure it'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, wherever they pick up. Yeah. Uh, I definitely have faith in that. Okay, next scene, Roger and Don drop the news on Ted and Jim that Sunkiss has approved an $8 million TV campaign. The war's back on, boys. <laughs> yeah, it is. After discussing the repercussions to their agency, they decide to drop Ocean Spray in favor of Sunkissed. They also agree that they all need to work better together, and Ted requests Peggy for the Sunkissed account. This is... Ah, oh, man. So the war so- is really still... A war. It's full blown. I mean, well, there, is, and, and is the Ted offensive um, a sly foreshadowing <laughs> of this? No, no, no seriously. Nice play on words there. Okay, but, yeah. but, but seriously, so, so you know that was a offensive that the North, uh, the Viet uh-huh. Cong launched against the uh, South Vietnamese and the United States during a putative ceasefire. Uh huh. Sure. Um, now, obviously, we talked about this. Huh? We talked about this a long time ago, right? Right. But I'm, yeah. I'm because they they mentioned it. Um, yeah, this was something mentioned earlier on. I think it was a conversation about the war but, uh, with Don and, uh, and Roger, Arnold. Right? That was Don oh, and Arnold. Oh, it was Don and Arnold? Okay. I thought, over dinner. Could be right. Um, but, you know, the the point is that this was a, a supposed to be a ceasefire, and it was a massive, uh, overwhelming offensive. Yep. Um, exactly like what happened you, here. Yeah, right? Don is acting like there is a ceasefire in this in this uh, scene here. And Ted didn't do anything to provoke it. No, Ted did a little bit to provoke what? it. What? Uh, Date Peggy? No, totally ignore the wishes of a client and go way over budget on a project without telling anybody. That wasn't Ocean Spray. And that shit that, <laughs> that, 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 it, shit that Don right. does on the reg. So, I'm saying, what did Ted in, do actively to scene? provoke Don into breaking the truce? Don doesn't break the truce here. Yes, he does. This ocean, this this him, he already we actually he actually did it two scenes ago when he called when Harry, he to Harry to yeah, tell okay. him to go back after Sunkissed. That was the offensive okay. right there. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Everything else is just you know, uh, is just an epilogue. Mm-hmm. The shot's been fired, man. Yeah. So they're both still waging war. I mean, Ted. No. Ted is how not, is Ted raging war? I just told you. Later on, with the sun or with the Saint Joseph account, 
but but th- that's that not is, a, that's not a shot to John ja Don. That's nothing that he did to Finn Don. It is because they're not working together like Ted wanted. Uh, Ted wanted Don to call a truce and work with him, and and that's what. Don pretends to be this, doing that's this That's pretty flimsy scene. pretext for a war, honestly. I won't say that the pretexts are equal. I won't say they both have equal cause to go after each other, but Ted is not innocent mm. in this, certainly. Mm. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, they, they decide to drop uh, old Ocean Spray. Get him out of here. We got a new juice. There's a new juice in town. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, Harry Hamlin is the guy that plays. Yeah. Uh, huh? Jim Cutler. Jim Cutler. This is. You, you, you do realize that he's the same guy that played Prince Humperdinck in The Princess Bride, right? You do realize I've never seen that whole movie, right? <gasps> Still. Holy shit. I yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> um, no, no so, I did not realize that. <laughs> so I realized that from the get, but this is the, the, for some reason, this scene is the first time I saw a lot of Humperdinck coming out of Jim. Okay. Something about the smarmy and, you know, how he's kind of insincere about scolding Don and <laughs> and uh, th- 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 there's something humperdinky about uh, the way he carried himself in this scene. Okay. I can't comment. I don't know anything about him. Oh, Jesus. You know, I've got that on. <laughs> I've got that on DVD. Okay. I could cure you not seeing The Princess Bride. It's online, man. DVDs. Yeah, yeah. Give it the future. It's on. I'm sure, it's on Amazon or Netflix or something. Yeah. Oh, shit, it's probably on Hulu. It's probably on the Pirate Bay. <laughs> What's your excuse for not seeing this movie? Uh, there is are this another? A lot, there are a lot of movies out is there. Is this another Jim special where you've just set your face against it and it's a point of pride now? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like I've made it to thirty. I've seen the Princess Bride. <laughs> Fuck the Princess Bride. Princess Bride and I have a uh, a very <sighs> delicate truce going on. I don't want to break that. So, so do you we think, should talk about why, so Ted? Ted basically, I guess, forced Peggy onto Sunkist because she's got juice experience. <laughs> Man, she uh, has plenty of juice experience. Do you think Ted saw this as a power play? And Don's oh like, no, well, I I just thought he desperately wanted to be around Peggy. Ah, uh, so if Ted's on the juice, like you just shit the project the that we were working on together. So now here's a yeah, okay. And Cutler's going to get them all on the juice for that project. Mm. <laughs> He's going to call Doctor Feelgood. Uh, we should probably talk about the reasons that Ted doesn't want to do this. Uh, the objections that he raised because he does raise some pretty good objections. I mean, it's hard to trust an agency that could drop you at them at a moment's notice when a bigger client comes along right. and there's conflict. You know. Right. I mean, Sunkist. Yeah, it's a lot more money, but what does what does Ocean Spray say to their friends after this happens? Mm. Uh, and, and word gets out. So, I, Don says he's doing everything that he does for the agency. I don't know about that. I'm I'm not convinced that this is their best move. I mean, it's not like they're back in season five where they were struggling just to make payroll. Mm. They've now got Chevy. They they don't necessarily need to break their word just to take a bigger client. Right on. Next scene is Pete polishing his gun. The old twenty two is back. It's back in action. He's called in the Cooper's office and they discuss who's gonna stay on the uh or who's gonna take over the Chevy account now that Ken's off of it. And despite despite Pete's objections, everyone decides that Bob should stay on the account. Uh and then after the meeting Pete goes and confronts Bob about uh, what happened in his office, the knee touch, 
Bob acts like it was just an expression of admiration. That's all it was. Don't don't get worked up, Pete. Mm-hmm. Bullshit, Bob. Bullshit. I don't believe this for a second. Well, no shit. <laughs> no fucking shit. So can we just say that everybody called everything about Bob Benson like it, it was all right. Everything was right. <laughs> yeah, he was gay. Right. I mean. Uh, yes, he wasn't a, a spy. He's not a spy or but a there secret was a, agent man. There was a sizable an amount of shadiness in his past. And then there was a lot of people calling the Bob Benson, Don Draper 2.0, or Completely. specifically Dick Whitman. Yes. Even with the alliteration, Don Draper, Bob mm-hmm. Benson. So there was a lot of people slapping themselves on the back. And, and I started seeing that like five episodes ago. Yeah. So yeah, this is. Um, are you interested in Dick Whitman 2.0? Is that a compelling plot line? I'm interested. Okay, at first, I was very uninterested in what this was doing to Pete. Um, ah, that's exactly. Okay, I think I see where you're going with this. I, I was very uninterested in that because I thought this is out of the blue. This seems totally random. And Pete doesn't need a gay guy chasing after him to make him an interesting character. After watching it a second time and realizing what the fuck was going on in that scene, mm-hmm. I now understand that. Don 2.0 is exactly what Bob Benson is um, to Pete. And what's changed is Pete's reaction to it. Exactly. Exactly. And Pete is actually kind of, I mean, Bob, true or false, Bob Benson does not work for SC&P. Bob Benson works for Pete Campbell. Oh, now he does. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, he does. Pete owns him. Yeah. And the thing is, is like Pete has very little real power here. Because the last time Pete like tried to expose Don <laughs> Draper, Bert Bert Cooper gave him a "Who cares, Mister Campbell?" <laughs> so if he goes to Bob That's Benson, good Cooper, I like that. Thank you. Um, you can imagine what Jim Cutler, what Bert Cooper, what Roger, what Don would say if he's like, "This guy's a fucking fraud," even though he's well installed and in, in, at GM and they like him. Yeah. They, it'd be another "Who cares, Mister Campbell?" Pete knows that. You know who doesn't? Bob Benson. Bob Benson. Yep. So Bob Benson thinks he's got the sword of Damocles hanging over his head the whole fucking time. <laughs> Pete's gun's not loaded, but as yeah. long as Bob doesn't know that, Pete owns this motherfucker. Yep, you're totally right. And that's why it is so much more interesting than I first thought it was. And the tone, like Pete's whole vibe mm-hmm. completely changes after that meeting. Like this, like he's reflexively, uh, reflexively addicted to his secretary after this meeting. He's yeah. addicted to everyone. He's just pinched, sour. The walls are closing in. <laughs> he's not master of shit. Even he's though not, he just picked up the Chevy account. Yeah, he's because because it's still like a, it's a Bob Benson yeah. victory. He's got his fingerprints all over it. Now everything <laughs> he's got his knee prints all over it. <laughs> now everything that Bob does is reflecting good on Pete, and Pete owns all this. And Ooh. like the difference in his. Like, we'll get to this later, Yeah. but when Pete comes out of that meeting with Bob later on, he's breathing freer, his mm-hmm. shoulders are straighter, The wor- he's seeing the world as a completely different place now. For sure. Uh, I really like how Cooper uh, cut down Pete in this scene. Mm-hmm. Crocodile tears, how quaint. Well, like, I'm why does, so glad somebody called him out on why that. Why does Pete even like? I understand when you do this to a client, but uh-huh. Pete's as good as pl- at playing human as Lieutenant Commander Data. <laughs> so, why does he even try? Does he not know that he's bad at this? He does he not doesn't. know how artificial he looks? I guess not. 
because he continues to do it. It's been a while because we talked before in previous seasons about how much uh, this guy reminds me of our quote unquote friend Ass Cheek. Yeah, yeah, I got a strong Ass Cheek vibe off of here. Oh yeah, like, are, do you think I'm as dumb as you are that you think that I'm <laughs> that this is working? That I believe a fucking word about what you're saying about. Yeah. You know, kin and loyalty and thankfulness or any of these so-called human emotions you're professing to have. <laughs> and that's the thing. He doesn't need to cry these crocodile tears in this room. Everyone knows that this is a huge opportunity. And everyone knows that this is the only play they have. Yeah. They're so, not comfortable Bob soloing it, maybe. Uh-huh. But Pete is – I mean, who else are they going to get? Yeah. they're Harry? He's the guy – no. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> Ginsburg, yeah, right, right. Ginsburg would uh, have them smoking. We- Actually, he Jim and Roger are too lazy to do it. Yeah, definitely. They're they're they're, bre- they're breast cupping and ball holding days are behind them. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, the only thing Roger's cupping now is a glass of vodka. Anyway, let's move on. Betty and Sally are driving to Miss Porter's boarding school for her interview. Betty's trying to find out why Sally wants to go, but Sally is not fessing up. Uh, she, instead, she gives a bogus reason about the importance of her education uh, and seems self-satisfied when Betty buys it. Do you think that there's something to Betty bumming, bumming a french fry? <laughs> I, I had, I'll, the, we'll be honest, I had not given that a single second well, then, like, of my Sally, brain power. Sally, so... Why? Is there something to it? I don't know. Is it like, is this fat Betty trying to break through? Is there a parallel to (laughs) Betty giving Sally a A cigarette cigarette later later on? on? This is something unhealthy. She's bumming from her her daughter, and now she's going to push this unhealthy habit onto her daughter late. You know, or did you say where I'm going with that? Yeah. They're the same shape. (laughs) Is this like some kind of, is it Wiener trying to describe there's some kind of cycle going on here? Uh, I off some, the top of my head, I don't think there's any. Sometimes a French fry, just a French fry. I think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and plus, there's there's more going on in this scene than the French fry. How about Sally completely donning her mom? Yeah. yeah. Donned. There's that, and there's this idea of she doesn't want to rat out her father. Um. But I don't know why. Like, I don't know why she doesn't want to tell anybody about this. Is it because she's embarrassed having seen it? Is it because she's yes. still loyal to her father? Yes. All the above? Um, I think she's embarrassed. It's painful. Mm-hmm. She still has loyalty to her father. Uh, she does. She, she also seem like sees, it in the last... She also has some power over her father with this. That's true. Yeah. And there's enough. I mean... Well, I think that we haven't said this enough is that Sally has learned to be a manipulator from the best. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm scared to see what we're going to see 1969 Sally Draper look like. Oh, dude, Glenn has no chance. No chance at I'm surviving Glenn Sally. Man, Glenn don't want Sally. It doesn't matter. What I'm saying is <laughs> she's going to eat him for breakfast. Did you see the way she manipulated him later on in this episode? I don't know that she manipulated him. Oh, I think she did. I think those things were gen- – those are things he did. Those were things he did. Like he sees him as her little sister and one of his yeah. quote-unquote friends was taking advantage of her and he's going to kick his ass. You've never had a little sister. Uh, you don't know okay. how this works. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, let's move on. We'll get there eventually. Pete calls up Duck to find a position for Bob Benson and he agrees to send over his personnel file. 
And then on another phone, Bob is trying to convince Manolo to stay away from Pete's mother. Mm. Uh, dueling phone calls here. Yeah. Um, hmm. Did you know the joke that Duck... Uh... I didn't, but I looked it up. Oh, with me too. The hell, I'm telling everyone. Yeah, you want to you want to you want to tell it? Uh, I could, but I don't totally remember it. Basically, isn't it okay? So a guy goes into a confession booth. Elderly man to, goes in confession to a priest and says, uh, "So I've got a wife and kids, whatever, and I've got this this 18 year old on the side, and I'm also sleeping with their sister who's 20." Uh, and the, the priest says, "How long has it been since your last confession?" He says. Never, I'm Jewish. And he says, why are you coming to me? And he says, hell, I'm telling everyone. <laughs> so Indeed. basically, yeah, that's what Pete, that's what he thinks Pete is doing here. Mm-hmm. I got the Chevy account. Yeah. But no, he's actually trying to find a position for Bob. Get him out of his hair. Uh, this is before he, he comes to realize what he ne- actually needs to do, which is keep your enemies closer, I guess. Uh, I did look up Brown Brothers Harriman, which is apparently an investment bank and securities firm. Largest private bank in the country. Uh, been around for a long time. What? So, very prestigious place for Bob to uh, have worked, even if he was just a manservant. Um, well... To a yeah. VP. What did you think, uh, well, a manservant, like homosexual lover, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just want to make sure we're... Uh... I don't know that he was actually on the payroll there, but he got a good reference. Either do we, way, do do we fully understand what the hell uh, Bob's play with Manolo was? Like, what's he trying to do? I mean, obviously he's trying to make life Pete's life hell, but the end result of that was basically his mom showing up at work and slightly embarrassing him and inconveniencing him. Yeah. How is that a pro? I mean. How was that going to get Pete off his back? Or how is that going to put pressure on Pete? It doesn't feel like. Yeah. Uh, Maybe he was just trying to turn his attention away from himself. Hmm. If he gets him so concerned about his mother that and Manolo that he forgets about Bob. But the problem with that is that Bob is connected with Manolo. Yeah. And so every time he thinks about Manolo and his mother, he's going to think about Bob Benson. So I don't see that plan working out in any universe. What did you think? Um, what do you think about Pete slamming the door on Duck? Like Duck's like, oh, you got an, you need an account, man, huh? You know you can't work here. <laughs> yeah. And then the cutback to the, the Duck just looking pissed and uncomfortable. <laughs> I liked it. I mean, that's that's such a Pete thing to do, right? Well, especially after the talk that they had before, yeah. where he's like, "I can get you a job in Nebraska." Right. Like, I don't want to work in fucking Nebraska now. Right. I'm, now that I got Chevy. Yeah, I'm not looking. I'm going to throw shit. it in your face. Right. Yeah. All right, also, Duck's not any fool because by the end of the conversation, he sussed out that this is actually for Pete. Yeah. He's like, it must be pretty good if he's in your way. Yep. So, again, Duck, Duck, Duck uh, Phillips, right? Not Thompson. I said Duck Thompson. It's Duck Phillips. I'm not sure what his last name is. Um, he's no fool. No fool at all. So Don notices Peggy and Ted laughing loudly while going over the St. Joseph's ad as he's walking by the conference room. And he goes inside and... They organize an impromptu performance during which Don notices Ted touching Peggy in a very familiar way. Right on the waist. Right in case you waist. missed it, we got a nice inset shot of it. <laughs> right. Uh, body and hand doubles. No, I don't know that. Joan in this episode is fucking awesome. Yeah. Does her reaction yeah, shots in the background are mm-hmm. priceless. First, it's like the eye rolling of, oh, my God, I'm sitting with these people and I'm smothered. I feel like I'm smothered <laughs> in whipped cream. Uh, and then when Don does his wah, wah, like yeah. she gives this 
completely adorable, demure, like laugh to the side. She's so fucking cute. I find it hard to believe that that was not a genuine laugh. Because if I, I know that if I were on set and I saw John Hamm crying like a baby, yeah, uh, I would. I'd probably laugh. I don't know, but it's I mean, I just funny. feel like Christina Hendricks really plays that almost uh, geisha girl quality yeah, yeah. about Joan when she's on in a professional capacity. So good, <laughs> and it's adorable. For sure. And she plays a pretty decent old Jewish woman. <laughs> Does she? Uh, I didn't think the accent was very authentic. You but... didn't? Eh, it was cute, her doing her doing All accents. Right. Yeah. And a Japanese. Don't forget the Japanese. Don't forget the casual racism here. Yeah, that's Peggy, right? Although, so... Oh, Jesus. When, when does a stereotype b- cross the border into being racist? When it's talked about on a podcast. Is it? <laughs> no. Uh, like, I've always I wondered that. Saying. Like, like you know, the whole thing about, you know, like, like, like black people and fried chicken and, and, oh, and fried okra. Who the hell doesn't like fried chicken and okra? Uh, I don't think I've ever had okra. Really? No, I've definitely had fried chicken, though. I love it. Well, like, why is that a negative stereotype? I, Right, like, like I can understand, like, like thing. when people say like Asians are bad driver, but why is like Asians taking pictures a negative stereotype? I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not is a it, sociologist. Um, um, uh, yeah, I mean, why? Uh, how did that get started? Is it? Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of interested in that. Like a lot of people said, this is a broadly racist thing, and I'm like. Okay, sure, it's a stereotype, but is it yeah. racist? The fact that they're referring to people as a Japanese, maybe. Well, it's interesting because the the comment that Megan makes in the theater is that Japanese people are always carrying cameras. Well, what she's really saying is tourists always carry cameras, right? I guess. Is it because, like, you don't understand what ja- a group of Japanese people are doing when they're at a place and they're taking pictures conspicuously, whereas... An American family, you can actually hear them interact, so it doesn't seem strange. Could be. But you are it's almost like they're playing you, – you, it's a pantomime game you're watching. So it's like you don't register the fact that this is just a family taking pictures. It's the it Japanese. It just looks funnier to you? Yeah, these Japanese guys are taking fucking pictures, man. Hmm. I don't know. Is it because know. like – um, a lot like a lot of the big camera companies like Fuji and Nikon are Japanese. Nikon, rather. <laughs> I don't know. Does that play into it? Are you hit, are you so uncomfortable? I'm like not... your shoulders up around your ears right now, man. Are they? Am no, I, am I making I, you uncomfortable? I naturally. Sit. I'm asking questions. I, I, I will. I'm a little uncomfortable, but I I just don't know the answers to your questions. Mad Brew and I plowed 15 minutes into. Talking about race on Game of Thrones, uh, so I'm like I'm like completely desensitized to it right now. Okay, I'm post-racial. Making fun of the giants—that's not fair, man. <laughs> they can't help it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I can't answer these questions, so I'm gonna have to move on. Okay. So Don likes the idea, and he gives uh, a Ted gives credit. Uh, credit? Jesus, I can't talk. Gives Peggy all the credit. You are super uncomfortable. Uh, Joan, <laughs> Joan stuttering warns, and stammering like a moron. Joan warns Don that the proposed ad is way over budget, and Don can't believe that Ted would approve this without telling the client. Speaking of crocodile this. tears, this is crocodile outrage. Is it? Oh yeah. Well, okay, yeah. So he, so he has other reasons why he doesn't like what Teddy is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just the one that 
he can get away with complaining about at this right. point. Um, but this is also the shot across the bow with Ted, right? I mean, Ted is blatantly not working with anybody at this point. He's just trying to get Peggy to Cleo. It's interesting because, yeah, I never really thought of it that way, that this is him going off onto, off the reservation in his own way. Not out of a sense of competition with Don, more of a being blinded. I mean, that's the thing not about Don. With his head. Again, just like with Megan, he's killing Ted with the truth. Everything he oh, says about Ted the, is the totally, scene, absolutely yeah. right, but in it's also scene. massively hypocritical and et cetera, et cetera, and beside oh, the yeah, point. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's not because he cares about the firm. It's it's the Peggy thing. Yes. Yeah. They're they're both at fault. Uh, Don is probably more at fault, but Ted is not innocent. Um, Let's move on. During the interview at Sally's school, she's told that There'll be an overnight stay as part of the process, and Betty leaves her there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a kind of a short scene there. Where they're sitting on the couch just talking. Do you think the people at top are completely ignorant of what goes on at the school? I don't know. There's a comment about uh, one of the, I don't know what you call them, headmasters or something. The the dorm mothers or whatever. Yeah, being kind of an alcoholic. Um so I'm sure that it's not all prim and proper there. Yeah, but do you think this headmistress knows that one of the house mothers is a booze fiend? Or is this this is a middle management failure? Probably middle management. Because, like, guess. if you're walking down the dorm rooms and you're, you you got to smell weed and booze, right? Oh, yeah. So Weed, booze, and boys. <laughs> oh, the they boys smell especially. Too. Yeah, they smell the worst. And they barely just, smell the weed for all the boys. They're not even there. sneaking up the windows, man. They could have just walked in the front fucking door, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. It's like, this This is more like Animal House than a boarding school. Yeah. How, how in the world can they be that ignorant of it? Do you think this I is? Don't know. Do you think that this is like a transition period? Like ten years ago, this shit didn't happen, but now it is. Well, it's possible because I know that because Betty was... seemed like if totally ignorant of any of this. So, from what I read about this school, um, it was very much prim uh, and proper, and uh, had that Farmington uh, reputation up until the fifties. And from what I hear, it has kind of lost that reputation a little bit. So maybe this is a transition period, like you were saying, where um, it's starting to not become as Farmington as it was in the 50s and before that. Mm -hmm. Could be possible. Uh, I don't know. I didn't uh, research that into the 60s, so not sure. Anyway, we go back over to the... SC and P offices and Pete's mother shows up. She is looking for her passport. She's apparently going on vacation with Manolo. Uh, actually, she doesn't say she was going on vacation with Manolo. She says she's going, for, she's going away for a trip and that she ran into Manolo. Uh, Pete's very angry and he says he doesn't have a passport. Best line of the episode in this scene. Uh, when she says that she ran into Manolo, Pete says where? And she says, I don't remember. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, payback's a bitch, Pete. Uh Take it. (laughs) Uh, Although Pete gets a nice drop in, too. It's like, I don't have your passport, and like everything else in your life, it's expired. Yeah, but that's nothing like I don't remember. (sighs) Yeah. And Josephine, (laughs) poor Josephine, she has no idea what she's getting into. Oh, yeah, that's not a good situation. 
Uh, I tried to look up Spanish Fly, but I think Pete is using Spanish Fly incorrectly here. Really? Yeah. I mean, it has a reputation as an aphrodisiac. I don't know if that's supposed to be Bob in this case or if it's Manolo. No, it's definitely Manolo. It's Manolo? He's. I think it's. A, I think he's actually being kind of a clever double entendre. Oh, okay. It's, he's a Spanish Fly, and he's annoyingly buzzing around, but he's also making a... He's also Not Spanish. a joke, but he's making a wry observation about the fact that, he's, yes, he's a Spaniard, and also that he's... A horn dog chasing after his mother. Yes. Which, a rapist, again, as he would call it. Oh, God. Pete's so fucking delusional. <laughs> I can't believe he's still on this. Yeah. I can't fucking believe he's still on this. It's of no consequence to him. I don't understand it. Well, it's a consequence, but, like, I don't understand why he doesn't believe. And, and I've got lots of questions asked. But why is he so on. angry about his mother apparently having a good time? What the fuck? Is this a genuine question? Yeah, it is. So if you set your mom up with a nurse, uh, uh, I guess found, she's delusional. And you found that, and your mother was a little yeah. kind of addled in the okay. head, well, and you found this guy was you thought was fucking her. Yeah. To what end? All right, gotcha. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the delusional aspect uh, kind of changes things. If she was in her, even if she wasn't, right you'd, mind, you'd wonder what the hell is this guy? What's his angle? Because he sure as fuck ain't seeing my mom as sexy. <laughs> Why not? Manolo's pretty old, too, man. No, he's not. Yeah, he's not as old as his mother, but he's up there. He's way older than Pete. Oh, uh, I don't believe that at all. Really? What makes I you think, think he he's that old? I, I don't know. I get that impression. He's got no gray. He's got no wrinkles. Ah, he dyes his hair. Come on. All right. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm done talking this with you. Obvious. I'm done. Right, Sally. Next meet, scene. Sally meets a couple of girls at the school, and they're huge bitches. Uh-huh. Uh, they're part of the Oh Pritch Nikki or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I could not stand watching these girls. It, Jonathan it, Lipnicki. <laughs> yes. Uh, these girls are horrible, and they. Uh, are apparently doing the hazing stuff that Moo talked about. It's Mean Girls back in the 60s. Yeah, terrible. 60s Mean Girls. Uh, and apparently Sally gets the idea to call Glenn at this point uh, because she doesn't have any cigarettes or booze. But she correctly surmised that he'd be able to get his hand on both. <laughs> yeah, he would. Do you think they still talk on like a weekly basis? Or do you think things have kind of cooled down since the whole period gate? I feel like it's cooled down because... He said he had to look up an old address. Ooh, what what was what was I wasn't with that? sure. I got the same question. What the, well, I didn't. Okay, good because I didn't understand. Here's the looking it. up your old address. I don't. How would his, How would her old address help him at all? I don't. I don't in know. this situation. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, we go back to the office and. But she knew how to get hold of him. Yes. Yeah. So maybe they are talking. But Ted gets back to the office after the casting was canceled for the St. Joseph's commercial. And he gets a call from St. Joseph's because, or he got a call, because Don sent over a budget that they didn't like. And Ted defends it by saying that Peggy will win an award for this ad, and she wants it badly. Oh, she wants it badly, Ted. She wants it very badly, apparently. Uh, So, he mentions Plot Plot Fizz Fizz. I don't know how many people know what this is, but it's an old Alka-Seltzer commercial. Yep. Apparently very popular, and uh, I looked it up, and I want to play the audio from it. And I guarantee it'll get stuck in your head. So, here we go. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. 
Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Those speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer Gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. That was something. Pretty catchy, man. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Uh, anyway, so yeah, look that up. Uh, I don't know. Wh- plop, plop's got too many bathroom connotations for me. Oh, geez. Not back in the <laughs> 30s or whenever that was made. <laughs> yeah, before television when it was made. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's plenty to talk about this uh, interaction here, but I think we can save it until the meeting because that's kind of when this whole thing just blows up. Uh, so let's move on. Sally gets in the good graces of the bitches, as I'm calling them, by calling up Glenn and Rolo, who show up with booze and weed, and <laughs> with very similar speech patterns. They both think that Sally has nice digs. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah. As soon as both of them come in, nice digs, nice digs. <laughs> and yeah, there's the hearers looking up your old address. I don't understand what that meant. One bit. Is it because the school's in proximity to uh, Sally's old, where, where they used to live? Maybe. That's the only thing I can so, think of. that's not spelled out very well. No, no. I didn't get it either. Okay. Maybe we're just supposed to know where this school is and to know where I Sally like used Rolo's. to live. I like Rolo's. Like, his, he says, he says his, his first words were, nice digs. His second words is, I need a surface. <laughs> yeah, he's down to business Yeah, man. The man's a rolling machine. Yeah, they don't call him Rolo for nothing. <laughs> and they don't no. call him Rolo for the reasons he gives in a later scene. <laughs> Fuck you, they call you Rolo for your name. Uh, all right, Pete gets a call back from Duck who tells him that Bob Benson is a complete fraud. Total fraud. He says, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, and then we cut over to Pete who says, I have. And then we go immediately from that to a shot of Don. Oh, yeah. Which was fantastic. It was. Uh, but, yeah, in this scene we find out that uh, Bob is from West Virginia, and he was a manservant to a senior VP. Apparently his parents are, are brother and sister. They got a they yeah. got a Cersei Jamie thing going on here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was a joke or if that was... Well, I mean, who knows anything past. about Bob Benson other than he's a complete fraud at this point? We don't yeah. even know that's his name. Very true. Um, so we go over to Don, like I said, and he's drinking and watching TV. Megan comes out into the living room and invites him to bed, but he ignores her. Doesn't even totally. say nothing. No. Like how – I've often understood – like how do you get in a relationship to a point where that's acceptable? Like, I don't know. if I came out, I would have, I would have at least gone over to my, my partner slash mate slash whatever and been like, are you okay? Are you cat? Did you pass out? What the fuck is going on? Why aren't you acknowledging me? <laughs> like, that's good grief. Do you think he's just zoned out or do you think he's purposely like, fuck this Megan chick? Yeah, I, I don't think he cares. Mm. It's not that he doesn't hear her. He just doesn't care. That's terrible. Yeah. For sure. Then we go back to uh, Miss Porter's and Glenn and one of the bitches go into another room to make out. And Rolo makes a move on Sally. She shoots him down and tells Glenn that he tried to force himself on her. Glenn gets in a fight with Rolo and they both leave. Uh, I God, I can't stand. Is is Wiener's kid still a really terrible actor? He is, um, right? I don't know. He's He's definitely looking better. 
He's looking better. Okay, I thought that was hilarious. Like, everybody on my Facebook feed was, like, you know, not wanting to come out and say... Uh, He's not a looker. No, No but, like, he's he's not the kid that's asking for Betty's hairlock, (laughs) either. He's not... He's I, he's filled yeah. out. He's he's turned into a not entirely disgusting human being. I was rewatching against all odds. <laughs> uh, yes, totally. I mean, it's like I haven't seen who could have predicted, right? Well, it's kind of like um, Neville Longbottom from the Harry Potter series. Sure, like it's hard to believe that man came out of that boy. <laughs> I don't know what he looks like now. I don't know that he's like you know because like Neville is a, a is a certified hottie at this point. Oh, is he? Um, I don't know that I would say Matt Weiner's kid. Is... That's what millions of dollars and the attention of hundreds of people every <laughs> single morning can do. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sally was very pleased with uh, him lowering the boom on Rolo. Yeah, she was. Can, can I just say I was rewatching an episode. Uh, I forget which one it was, but it's the one where her and Glenn are talking on the phone and he's in his boarding school. Uh, sure. He is, he is, he literally comes out to the phone in the hall in nothing but a a coat, a parka. Yeah. We talked about that. He's wearing nothing but a zip, a half zipped parka. Yeah, man. That's fucking crazy. That's confidence oozing out of every pore. I guess, but do dudes do dudes really get away with this shit? What? Like, okay, so I've been in a situation. I've been in situation where I've gotten the late night call to like bring over a DVD and some some intoxicating substance to (laughs) a a a young woman's house. Uh huh. Um, And you brought Spanish Fly and. I mean, there's you go into that situation with certain expectations, sure. All right. But if you get there and, like, it turns out, like, well, this is just a movie and hanging out with a friend. Yeah. What kind of fucking scumbag? You then scream, what are you, says, frigid? Yeah, what are you, frigid? What, you, you luring over false pretenses? You're not going <laughs> to fucking put out? That works? No, it obviously doesn't work on Sally. I think it must work more often than people care to admit, and it's, it's, it's way gross. Yeah, who knows? It probably does. I've never tried it. Uh, especially some fucking joint rolling, <laughs> leather sandal wearing teenage hippie. Yeah, yeah it's the leather sandal. Leather sandal right. with, the, with the big toe strap. I'm glad you pinpointed what it is that I didn't like about this it's guy. It's the sandals, right? It is. It's the sandals and the haircut. Yeah. The haircut does it too. And you, the turtleneck? Is he wearing a turtleneck? Oh, proto-rapist. Sleeves. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what a proto-rapist wears. Ugh. Yeah, he's been hanging out with Glenn too long. <laughs> Thank God Glenn was there to lower the booms, all I got to say. Yeah, for sure. Um, she would have got Pete Campbell. Oh, jeez. So take this scene and put it up against what happened with Don in the whorehouse. All right. When Amy took advantage of him. Sally stood up for herself. I'm glad she did. I mean, yeah, she went through Glenn to do it, but that's what she had to do at that point, right? Well, do you think if Don had someone he could have appealed to that gave a damn, he would have? You don't think Mac would have run in there and stopped that? Mac. Mac's his, his oh, yeah, yeah. Like, no, not I, real uncle, or not I, real dad, yeah, whatever. Well, maybe you're right. But he also probably, I don't know, he might have given Don a beating for his <laughs> trouble, too. Yeah, that's it's really a coin toss at that point, you know? Yeah. Uh, plus, Don was very weak, uh, physically weak because of his sickness at that mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe he couldn't even have gotten help if he wanted to. But, yeah, I'm I'm just glad to see that Sally took it into 
her own hands. Plus, there, I gotta to say, Glenn is completely it. unflappable in every situation. Yeah. Okay. I've never. That's a plus for him. Like he's been in so many. You think of all the weird ass fucking situations he's been in, and yeah. he just completely rolls with it. Yep. Even when he creates them. Yeah. The hair incident. <laughs> Not a problem. Mm. So we go over to the meeting uh, at St. Joseph's. Or, uh, sorry, the meeting with uh, St. Joseph's. And I don't know this guy's name, but Ted's trying to defend his decision to run over on the on budget. a raft of shit. <laughs> yeah, he did. Which is my new favorite expression, though. <laughs> don't believe the raft of I'm shit. I'm a big I fan of, of shit-based phrases. <laughs> shit the bed. Yeah. I know you like oh, that Oh, shit one. the bed, ape shit. Ape shit still... <laughs> Is a you know elementally funny phrase? Yeah, yeah. Going ape shit? Are you kidding me? Oh, it's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, it's not working though. He's he's failing miserably to uh, convince this guy. So Don jumps in. No, I'm surprised me. Ted was this weak. He had nothing to tell this guy. Yeah, oh, he well, really didn't. Did we've he? had a long relationship. You should trust us. Uh, uh-huh. Fuck you. You said you did this for fifteen grand. Yeah. Why am I paying fifty? Yeah, where's the trust coming from the other side? You know, yeah, where's right? the honesty coming from that I can trust you? He's like, well, we didn't want any surprises. Well, I am surprised. I mean, like, yeah. that's that's a client that was like on point, was not giving any ground. Yeah, which is good. I mean, that's that's what he needed to do. So Don jumped in, oh uh, and he tells the guy that there are very personal reasons that uh, Ted is not talking about. <laughs> and at this point, very Ted personal. and Peggy's buttholes pucker up to the size. Were you of watching a micro black hole were you generated Joan? By, by CERN? Joan was watching Joan too, this yes. like a ten, like a like a Wimbledon finals tennis I, match. N- no, not quite because I noticed that she was watching Don more than Ted, more than Peggy. Like when Don did this, and all eyes turned to Ted to tell them. I've never seen Christina Hendricks with bigger eyes. Is all I'm saying. It, true, very true. But those eyes were locked firmly on Don. Like, what is? going on in your head why are you doing this mm. uh but it turns out that's not the reason that don was going to give he was uh going to give the reason that frank gleason's dead and it was his last idea uh so saint joseph agrees to a slightly larger budget and he heads out and then don tells ted that his judgment is impaired because he's in love with peggy Mm, brutal. Ted at first doesn't want to acknowledge that, but eventually I think he does. Oh, I mean, Don pummels him with, yeah. with logic and the truth. Yes, irrefutable <sighs> truth. And um, I think we might have a listener email about this, but uh, doesn't this take any possible Cleo away from Peggy and well, give it to Frank Gleason, the dead Frank Gleason? That's what I thought, too. But... I've been thinking about it and, you know, and, and reading around the point is, is like, so who knows that this is Frank's idea beside the client himself yeah. and the Cleo's is kind of inside ball. I actually thought that the way that Don was going with this, when he said this is a very personal, like I thought what he was going to come out with was this is, this is their, this is Peggy's Cleo chance. This is how strong we think this idea is. It can okay. win an award. Yeah. And that was what was going to, the fact that he dropped the, the Frank G angle on it yeah. was like, whoa. Yeah. That surprised me too. You just tread on holy ground effortlessly. Um, <laughs> so I think that, so, so, so who would, would the client basically jump in front of that train and be like, you know, no way. This isn't Peggy. You got to give this to Frank Leeson posthumously. Posthumously, I should yeah. say. <laughs> uh, I don't know. 
I mean, I assume that the client whose ad it is would also be invited to the Cleos, but I don't know how that works. Yeah. Plus so maybe they like, would never know. Yeah. Yeah. I, might be I, right. Yeah. I, I don't know that it precludes it, but uh-huh. uh, since that's the clear impression I got and the clear impression you got, I got to think that that might be the clear impression. We've got a couple people in the ad agency. I'd love to hear one of our embedded reporters yeah. weigh in on how that would actually work and how that would go down. For sure. Uh, so I assume that what happens when uh, Teddy says, leave us alone, and Peggy leaves, she goes directly to Joan's office and turns <laughs> on that intercom, yep, right? <laughs> yep, yep, Because yep. Joan's walking the guy outside. Mm-hmm. She can get a good 15, 30 seconds of that conversation. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I don't think she did that. Anyway, we go over to Pete, who uh, goes into Bob's office, tells him that he knows everything, and just confronts him with all of it. And oh, calls him expertly servile. That's such a Pete Campbell yeah. put down and expertly delivered. Definitely. Uh, just as Bob thinks he's going to be fired, Pete instead apologizes and tells him to get Manolo out of his mother's life. And he walks out of Bob's office feeling very self, very satisfied with himself. Uh, yes, I glossed over the majority of this, but I'm sure we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, he says, I surrender... I mean, everything basically is Pete flipping over and showing his belly, but somehow he mm-hmm. came out of this with the upper hand. Well, it's like you said at the beginning. I mean, Bob thinks that Pete has this massive secret over him, which he does. But uh, then, to okay, because be I expected this to go down like a uh, house of cards when Kevin Spacey flexed on the, uh, was it Rizzo? <laughs> Stan Rizzo? No. <laughs> shit. Oh, by the way, I miss Stan. We needed Stan in this episode. Yeah. I uh, what is the guy? Pete Russo. Was it Pete Russo? I don't know the names Where of he anybody catches, in he that. He catches the guy, uh, you know, in a con- – in, 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 I can't even remember what the hell happened. I've still only he, seen four episodes of that. What, so. You've seen this episode. Okay. Where he catches him with a dead hooker or something. Oh, yeah, And yeah, he the bails him guy? out of jail. And Kevin yeah. Spacey steps right in his personal space. He goes, I demand your unwavering loyalty. Yeah. And just basically makes it clear <laughs> that he owns this person's mortal soul. Mm-hmm. Pete, same result. Yeah, but he basically says, "I want you to graciously accept my apology, work beside me, but not too closely. I'm off, lo- I'm off limits, and get the f- Manolo the fuck out of my life." Yeah, that was a pretty soft touch for Pete Campbell, all considered, right? Yeah, sure, and it's all because think- of Don. It's because of his experience with Don before, like we said at the yeah, beginning. But again, of this. Bob doesn't know he's not he's untouchable because of the GM thing. Clearly, I know Bob I- was shitting. Shitting bricks. Yeah, that's why it works, right? Like you said, Bob thinks that. Well, so so let me ask you: What does Pete mean when he goes, "Manolo doesn't like women," and Pete says, "Make sure." Is he telling Pete? Is he telling Bob to seduce Manolo? Is he saying that That if you had crossed my mind? Is he saying if you're sure that Manolo is gay, that he can come back? That he can be a nurse to his mother again? Yes. No. No, 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 no. Pete still wants Manolo out of her life. Mm, I don't know why, because because Manolo would just basically take care and he'd never have to worry about his mother again. Oh, it's her loins, man. Her (sighs) loins. (laughs) Uh, He doesn't want anything to happen. Well, if he's positive that he's gay, why why wouldn't he want Manolo back in his life? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's what he was saying. But uh, with as angry as Pete was, 
at both Manolo, his mother, Bob, everyone. I don't see Pete being level-headed enough to let Manolo uh, come back into his mother's life with the assumption that he's gay. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it. Um, we, ca- we, we did talk about this at the beginning, but I just wanted to note here that uh, I really liked the... The line, uh, I would like to think that I've learned not to tangle with your kind of animal. Yeah. I mean, that's the line that really points out his experience with Don and how he's changed because of that. Yeah. Uh, And why, like you said, he has this softer touch with Bob. Yeah, like I said, he could go and blow the whistle, and what would it do? Maybe Bob gets fired. How does that benefit Pete? Yeah. Maybe the partners tell Pete to go to hell. That definitely hurts Pete. This (laughs) is, I mean, Pete Campbell, he can be taught. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, let's, I guess, move on. All right. On the ride home from Miss Porter's, uh, Betty tells Sally that the school was impressed and hopes that she'll choose them. And Betty gives Sally a celebratory cigarette. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, a celebratory cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of want to talk about the look that Betty gives at the end of this um, and the comment that uh, Sally makes about her father. I mean, I think that's obviously the most important part of this, Uh, aside from the cigarette, you know? Yeah, I mean, so she, you know, Sally basically tries to minimize the fact that she's uh, going for worst mother of the year by getting her teenage daughter (laughs) into smoking uh, with, well, I'm sure your father's given you a beer, and she comes back with, my father's given me nothing. Yeah, And that genuinely seems to shake Betty, like, you know, she's she's kind of horrified at what she's hearing coming out of her daughter's mouth, right? Oh, totally. Why? Totally. Well, I the way I read this is that she has connected dots between the conversation she had with Don at the beginning, where he kind of almost let it slip uh, that something was wrong between him and Sally, and now this comment out of Sally's mouth, where she obviously hates her dad. And the reason I think that is because last episode we saw... Uh, Betty devastated by the fact that Sally said Don is a better parent. You know, I mean, she flat out said that. Now to have this role reversal here where she suddenly hates Don and she's being at least somewhat cordial with her mother, uh, I feel like Betty picks up on that. Hmm. And she she doesn't understand what's going on there, but she knows that obviously Sally is mad at her father for something. So I'm sure there will be some investigation of that on uh, Betty's part. How did you read it? Um, I just thought that she's scared that she's heard hears something that cynical come out of her daughter's mouth. Um, okay, you know that's got to be even if even if Betty hates Don, which at this point I don't think is the case. Yeah, you got to wonder. It's like my God, what is that going to do to my little girl? The fact that she's got this antipathy towards her father. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. Probably not a good thing. Um, and yeah, like, you know, putting, I don't know if she's putting two to two together and has all the pieces to the puzzle, but, you know, certainly uh, she's very motivated to get down to the bottom of it at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there will be big events next episode. I don't know what they are, obviously, because there are never spoilers for the show. <laughs> um, I kind of assume that Betty will do some digging. After a comment like that. Uh, the only other person who might do more digging is Megan. But 
at this point she seems content to not have any contact with Don whatsoever <laughs> and still try futilely to be a part of his life. Mm. So I don't know. Did we did we talk about uh the time period? Like what what time frame this episode happens during? I'm not sure. We've got we've got a good two week bracket. Okay, yeah. So why do we have that bracket? Uh, so we know they're still running campaign ads for the presidential election, which would happen on November second, nineteen sixty eight. And we also know that uh, Jack Jackie Kennedy has recently been remarried as Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, which yeah. happened on October twentieth. So we're between October twentieth and November second, somewhere in there. Yeah, a couple of weeks there. Which Can- is about a which is about a month after. Uh, you know, Sally basically said her her father is uh you know I mean well Be- Peggy's or Betty's the one that said she's uh, he's a, her hero. That's clearly yeah. what she she thought about him. You know her daddy's being supportive of her. So a month ago, yeah. So so is that something of a shock? Or I mean, because you know she's she's fourteen years old. Teenagers say shitty things all the time. <laughs> yeah, true. So, but. This does seem to really shock Peggy. Oh, shit, Betty. <laughs> I'm sure it would shock Peggy, too. Oh, yeah. Actually, no. No, uh, she'd yeah. probably know a little more about that. like, Dom. your father is a monster. <laughs> yeah, that might shock Sally. Uh, yeah, no, I, that's definitely a shock to Betty. Uh, the role reversal there is, is weird. Uh, do you know the first two names of the Onassis dude that Jacqueline Kennedy married? Do you know what they are? He is the most Greek person in the world. Yeah. His first two names are Aristotle, Aristotle. Socrates. <laughs> Jesus, how more Greek can you get? If, it's, if he had four names, it'd be Aristotle, Socrates, Morons, <laughs> Onassis. Oh, what you don't get because you've not seen the fucking Princess Bride. No, Jesus I Christ. <laughs> I don't get Disgusting. it, Disgusting. Next scene. Disgusting. All right. That, uh, so, yeah, the next scene is... Uh, Peggy looking for Ted. He's gone home uh, because Peggy was looking for him. And instead, she goes to Don's office and but calls him. But he hasn't him. gone home. His secretary is lying, right? Oh, is that true? What? Where he the just locked himself in his office? Well, okay, where did you think he... Okay. I thought he went home. I believed her. So where do you think she just went in the next door? Do you think he, she, he came out of his apartment? Who went home? Teddy? Yeah. Oh, Teddy went home. So she's now crashing into Don. That's right. Yeah, so she Dawn is Dawn's secretary. Yes, yeah. So she went to go check on Teddy first. Yeah, but Jesus he gone Christ, home. I saw this episode four <laughs> times, and this is new information to me. All right, yeah, Ted went home. I so thought basically, yeah, I thought her sec- his secretary said he went home right after, and then she's oh, like, she oh, this bullshit anyway? and busted in anyway. <laughs> wow, that's a bold move, Which works, Peggy. that works too. That, that works as a bold move. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, no, Teddy's gone home, so she goes over to Don's office and calls him a monster, and then he curls up on his couch. Boom. Yeah. Uh, like you said before the podcast, bookending the episode. How much would you pay if I kickstarted it to do a bronze cast of John Hamm in a fetal position that you could literally book in your book or DVD collections with Donald Draper and his fetal position. Oh, I like it. Up to forty dollars. Uh, Can I get you to sixty? What are they made? Can I get of? you to eighty. Brass. Brass. I, Brass I would pay. Cast. I would pay forty dollars for a a likeness of Don curled up. All right. Uh, bookends. All right. 
we'll, forty we'll, bucks. We'll see. We'll see what Kickstarter has to say about that. <laughs> okay. If you can make that happen, go for it. Uh, that's the end of the episode, man. I what, mean, we can talk a little bit about uh, what what this means for Don. Why why is Don bookending this episode with fetal positions? Well, I mean, I thought that there's some some interesting uh, meanings in the lyrics to the song that played us out, the monkey song, the porpoise song. Uh, it, so much to say of a face, a voice, an overdub has no choice. It cannot rejoice. And so uh, the visual I get from those lyrics is, you know, you've got kind of like a movie being overdubbed where you've got people's lips moving, but the words coming out of their mouth are not matching. Uh -huh. and they don't have any choice. Their performance is being controlled by some other entity. Uh, and I feel like Don, like once this, he's this engine that runs on, uh, you know, anger and, and jealousy and uh, self-loathing and need, uh, just, just yawning black hole of want and need for love and acceptance that once it spins up, he's not in control of what he does. Okay. Like, yeah. You know, he could no more not hurt Peggy than he could not pour half a fifth of vodka into his orange juice in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And, gotcha. you know, he just realized he won. He had achieved a total victory on the field of battle. And it and made what, him feel miserable. What did he get? What did he get? The two people who, if you could try to think of, you draw a Venn diagram of the two people whose admiration he craves the most, probably Sally and Peggy are very, very, very close and overlapping in those circles. Mm -hmm. And he's turned them both against him. Yeah, in the span of two episodes. Well, actually, Peggy's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, this is barely an episode. In the one episode, into this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I like that uh, reading on it. Okay, well, that's the end of the episode. Do we have some pimping to do? Uh, I probably got some big pimping. All right, do it. Uh, first, uh, la you know, first but not least, <laughs> uh, our Kickstarter campaign. Uh, we're trying to make Breaking Good better, and I talked about it a lot on the top of the show. I'm not going to bore you again, but please check out kickstarter.baldmove.com. If you want to help us, uh, our next goal again is uh, is instant podcast. We're going to double the amount of Breaking Good podcast if we get to the next goal. Yeah, uh, you show up to the site, you're going to see that our project's already funded. That's just where this. That's just where the party started, folks. We we're trying to get to these stretch goals, which are above and beyond the initial goal to unlock better and better features of the podcast. So check out the project, check out our stretch goals, uh, see if you can help us push towards them. And we appreciate your support in advance. Uh, you can also, uh, you know, we're part of Bald Move Network. We just wrapped up Game of Thrones coverage. We're going to be wrapping up Mad Men. Next is uh, br our coverage of Breaking Bad, Breaking Good. We also got complete coverage of The Walking Dead. Uh, we've got uh, Downton Abbey uh, coverage courtesy of Tom and Kelly. They're actually doing, uh, covering Mr. Selfridge right now. Check out that. Uh, because show gals came back, uh, Amy and Susan recorded a fantastic podcast. I just listened to it this morning, uh, on oh, my man. way to Indianapolis. It was uh, good. Both of them and personal arrogance brought the thunder this week. Personal arrogance. Uh, so personal arrogance, and other podcast, uh, Eric and Jesse out of Seattle with complete E3 coverage. You'll swear you were there. 
uh, <laughs> with the X talking covering Xbox One, or as I like to call it, the Xbone mm-hmm. uh, versus the PS4. Um, you know, there was talk of titty fucking on the Bacash show. Yeah, I hate yep, I yep. hate the, the the always lead with the sexual content because I feel like we just send an army of perverts <laughs> to skeeve. <laughs> To skeeve Gerilyn and Amy and Susan uh, uh, out. Yep, yep. Uh, That's our mission, really. But it does drive traffic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if, if I can appeal to your period interest and enough, and, and you actually uh, come for the titties, stay for the quality entertainment. <laughs> uh, that's their motto, the Picasso. Show. <laughs> uh, shit, what else? Uh, we need your iTunes reviews. You guys have been awesome this year. Uh, you've kept us at the top of uh, iTunes, uh, What's Hot in Film and Television. That helps us grow our show. That's the reason why we're doing this uh, shiz bit. Uh, please keep it up. If you haven't already, give us a couple stars. Give us a little review. We'd appreciate it. Uh, and also uh, use our Amazon affiliate link at amazon.baldmove.com or click on the little orange banner at the top of our site. You know how it works. You buy shit on Amazon anyway. doesn't cost you anything. just sends a little bit of love our way. Yeah, we're one percent less likely to curl up on the couch in the fetal position <laughs> if someone want, uses our affiliate link that day. That's what we want Jeff Bezos doing, <laughs> curling up because those bald move guys yeah, raking in all the profits. Write that big fat affiliate check at the end of every month. <laughs> curl up, Jeff. <laughs> we'll curl up like a shrimp on a Barbie. All right. Uh, do we have else? some feedback to do? Shit, I imagine. Let All me right, switch we over probably to, have a ton of it, don't we? Let me switch over to the feedback section. Do Ambie, it. you forgot to mention Peggy's reaction when Pete's mom mentioned that they should reunite because they have a child together. Peggy's clearly shocked remembering the child her and Pete have together and is relieved when she finds out the mother thinks she's Trudy. Did we forget that? I thought we touched on that. Yeah, I don't think we went very in-depth on it. We didn't go um, bacon gauntlet and ham-fist it, but I thought we touched, we lightly touched on it. Like a butler's silk... Be- uh, <laughs> velvet glove. Okay. Uh, I think this encounter plays in a scene later between Peggy and Pete when Pete says Peggy knows him in the sure. biblical sense. Pete isn't gay, but is desperately lo- longing for someone to love him, which is really what all the characters in this show want. Yep. I'd say that's a mission statement. Yeah, definitely. Jennifer H says, you're both kind of right. Oh, God. No, no, we can't no, have no. that. One of, us has, fence. one of us has to be the victor. Pick a side. And get the spoils, Jennifer Ted H. Ted or Don. And, and I can't sleep until you write us back. So <laughs> by the time you listen to this, I'll be on at least 36 hours of that sleep. Please, for the love of God, tell us who won. Uh, Manolo isn't slipping Miss Campbell the old Spanish sausage, but giving her some special therapeutic orgasmic massages. Hints to burning in her loins. A callback to season two. Oh, yes. Season two when Peggy was charged with putting into words the effect of a relax-a-sizer. From the wiki, the next day, Peggy struggled to explain that she felt something that most women would like to feel. It vibrates, and that coincides with how you wear it. She says, it's probably unrelated to weight loss. (laughs) Betty Draper also had a similar experience with her washing machine later in the episode. Yes, she did. Too true. Christopher F. Mark Lindsay was the lead singer for Paul Revere and the Raiders, basically a teeny boppy band, teeny bopper band who served as the house band for a TV show called Where the Action Is. The band is produced by Teddy Melcher, son of Doris Day, who once owned a house on Celio Drive where Sharon Tate was murdered. It's widely believed that Charles Manson picked that house because he believed Melcher still lived there and Manson wished to kill Melcher. 
Manson was angry with Melcher because he refused to sign Manson to recording contract after a demo tape was recorded by Manson. A strange subplot of the murders, which includes the Beach Boys, who actually recorded a song written by Manson. Tate is killed in 1969 along with others. Look for any Folgers Coffee references or possible accounts for SCP. One of the victims along with Tate was Abigail Folgers, who was heiress to the Folgers fortune. Someone may die next season. Oh, man. If I had a dollar for the, the time for the... If I had a dollar for every time the word someone may die appeared in our feedback, yeah. I'd have like five, six bucks easy. We already have one coffee theory. Another coffee theory is too many. <laughs> Dead woman's brew in this case. There you go. Shep breaks it down thusly. So last season, Sally watched Roger get a beige oh, yeah. from Megan's mom, and now she sees her dad boinking the neighbor. A blowjay. A blowjay. <laughs> the classy. Yep. I suppose next year she'll cl- get catch a glimpse of Pete sticking it up Bob's Bunsen. <laughs> Bob's Bunsen? Nasty. That's a funny term. All right. Speaking of which, and this is the second time I'm asking, what the hell's the deal with Cox and Chicago style? I'm a huge Blackhawk fan. I find these references very disturbing. Man, I don't even know. It was something from back when yeah. we used to play Magic the Card, Magic, Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. and I went through a period where I was really pissed off with the judges at professional competitions, <laughs> and we created. In fact, if you look, I was my t- living in Chicago at the time. Well, which is relevant because it's Chicago was it? style. I didn't think, or maybe I thought, right after I came back from Chicago. Okay, I don't know that that was part of my inside joke. We've got different levels of this. Oh, we but may. If, if my Twitter account, I'm at at DCI Griefer. If you look at my Twitter history, the first like 50 tweets are just me brainstorming ways I can piss off DCI judges. Mm-hmm. And one of them was to suggest at the beginning of a game if you're going to play Chicago style. <laughs> and when people like Chicago style, you go like you know where you touch wieners. Before the match. Before the match. To make it official. To make it official, of course. (laughs) Uh, Which I think is actually referenced to Thumb Wars. Oh, is it? The the, the Odekirk deal. Wow, Uh, that's an old reference. I mean, that's... So so there, Shep, are you happy to see what a rabbit hole our brain is to fall down? Yeah. Uh, Three more notes. Jonesy uses the highest fashion models line on Sally and Julie, and then later on the old broad and her nurse. Yeah, Jonesy's a professional suck-up. Yeah, he is. Basically. He's just a professional bullshit artist. Like Bob Benson. Number two. Ooh. Number two. Without prompting, Julie fills up Megan's wine glass after it's revealing that Sally has a crush on Mitchell. Mmm. At the end, Peggy, B&W in her living room, and Ted's boys color in the master bedroom are watching the same program on tv hmm. Hmm. okay uh what was the program they were watching any idea i don't know because a lot of we've seen a lot of that this season actually like people watching important events that have been happening like the riots and stuff mm. uh, a lot of people watching the same tv shows plus they're you know 60s there's like five channels or something right <laughs> so water cooler yeah Edwin C., hey, guys, heard the theory on your show last week about Megan cheating on Don and got me interested. So I started doing some research and found a few things you might find interesting. In a sense, Megan's career has been presented as a way, as a sort of a way of cheating, whether it's her co-star director wanting a threesome of scene or scenes of her character cheating on the show. Mm-hmm. The implications are all there. It fits in with the season narrative of women rejecting and not wanting Don. Sylvia with the casual affairs scene or since... Uh, Peg, Betty in the random hookup sense, Peggy in the professional sense, Sally in the parenting sense, Joan in the professional sense. So it makes sense for Megan to also follow this pattern. Hmm. 
Who is Megan's mystery agent? The guy has yet to be seen, but we know that she spends a lot of time with him, and he also had an awkward moment last episode regarding her calling her agent. Dot has made it clear that he doesn't want to talk about her acting career, and with the way he's pushed her away, it would make sense for her to find comfort in the agent's arms and also be very melodramatic, a very melodramatic soap operatic angle. I like that. Finally, her agent's name, Jeff Hunter. This name, if you watch TV in the 90s, is the same character... Is the same name as the character who split up Zach and Kelly on the show Saved by the Bell. <laughs> really? Okay. I yeah, know. I remember Jeff Hunter. I remember exactly what he looks like. Uh, he was I'm the teacher, right? Blissfully too old for that show. Oh, no, man. It's the greatest. I know this one sounds silly, but Mad Men has gone to great lengths to create a sense of nostalgia on the show. Also, I'm not getting into it, but there are many Zach and Don, Megan, and Kelly connections. <laughs> All right. uh, I appreciate that you're not going to go into it because they probably aren't relevant. Edwin, but I appreciate need, the reverence. You need for to sure. drop Jim a line about doing a Saved by the Bell podcast. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Uh, some of this is me leaning towards that she might be cheating on him. I'm sending this in before episode 12, so I don't know if it'll be addressed. But if it is, I'd like to hear what you guys think. I, I mean, that's one of my that's my theory, so I'm totally on board. If there's if and now that there's support for it, yeah. I'm doubly on board. Right? I was on board when I had no evidence. Yeah, just a gut feeling. Uh, you want to yeah, cite yeah. some Saved by the Bell, man? Sheesh. Things are a little uh, suspicious, for sure. Teddy C. says in episode three, Peggy has two significant lines in regards to episode 11. Peggy says there's a memo for everything around here. Mm-hmm. When talking to Ted after a crew plays the quest joke on her, Peggy says Tuesday morning is perfect. When on the phone with Stan at work with, and Ted walks in. Yep. Both. Uh, yeah. So that's you were wondering about like the code word. Uh, Tuesday morning is perfect. That's that's their code. It word wasn't for... necessarily like a predetermined code word, but. She got the point, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she had used that with Stan before. Yeah, yeah. All right. Cool. Mike G said, I thought this was an excellent penultimate episode. Here's a few thoughts I had. One, I found this whole Sally going to boarding school storyline ironic. She's interviewing for this prestigious institution in an effort to mature, receive a better education. However, her very first night, she's exposed to wild roommates, alcohol and drug use, and perhaps her first experience with a semi-sexually aggressive teenage boy. What would cause you to drop the semi off of that? Just outright rape? <laughs> yeah. If he whipped it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just like, you know, just grab the bottle of lube, threw it on the table and be like, are we doing this? Is this happening? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, okay. So I guess I buy that he was semi sexually aggressive because he didn't like try to pin her down or anything, but he did verbally humiliate her. Uh, after she turned him down, which is, you know, in its own way, sexually aggressive. It's a far, I mean, was... far cry from my standard of enthusiastic consent. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I think it's obvious that this sudden decision to go to boarding school is influenced by what she witnessed on the 16th floor. So, in effect, it's her trying to run away from a problem in her own way. She's running away from vice, i.e. watching Don's affair, to an institute of virtue. But when she gets there, it's really plagued with the vice she's trying to get away from. At least the social aspect of it. Indeed. She doesn't seem bothered by it, though, does she? She still wants to go. So uh, is she more bothered by her father's uh, escapades? Well, she's acting out, man. And willing to put up with the shit that's going to go on at school just to get away from him? Yeah. Okay. I can buy that. The episode begins and ends with Don laying in a fetal position. Uh, Don Draper fetal bookmarks coming soon. Bookends coming soon. While there's certainly a few ways to interpret this, I couldn't help but interpret at least part. 
to Rosemary's Baby, which is all over the episode. Oh, shit. How did I miss this? At the end of the film, <laughs> Rosemary discovers that her husband isn't a father. The baby is the literal spawn of the devil. Mm-hmm. So I think Don being in the fetal position is a metaphor to Rosemary's Baby. Don is the baby, the spawn of the devil. Throughout the series, Don's father has always been depicted as being dishonorable. The Hobo Code episode, mean-spirited and sinful. Don himself was conceived in an act of vice, prostitution. Therefore, we can think of Don's father as a devil and Don as a spawn of devil. Half human, good, half evil. This interpretation is also supported when Peggy confronts Don about the meaning and calls him a monster. Out of all the nouns in the English language the wiener could have had Peggy use, he chose the word monster. Right after he leaves, we see the fuel position. Yeah, so there's... Uh, a pretty good breakdown of this on Reddit that I could not decipher because I've not seen this movie. One of the one of the few classic horror movies I've not seen. Uh, Rosemary's Baby. I need to check it out. Apparently, let's watch it tonight. All right. While we're editing podcasts until two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> right? Joseph V says, "I saw the Kickstarter video and the steal line from Creepy Gillen. Nice digs." In regard, did you did you read, read my Facebook thread where I described your couch, how it cradles your ass like an old Amish mother? <laughs> no. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm liking it. it feels uh, good. I got I, I went creepy Glenn on the description. In regards to the show, I have to say the new SC and P logo is amazingly bad. And to steal another line, this time from Ginsburg, it reminds me of diarrhea. Oh shit! We need to talk about the new SC and P logo. Yeah, it's on Bob's coffee cup. And it's on the door where uh, Don and uh, where, where Don and Teddy first have the conversation about the budget overrun, and he's talking about smelling the Clio and so forth and so on. Uh huh. Right on and, the front door. Yeah. yeah. Did you Did you read they They had a fictitious press release about it. The AMC put out. I the saw day. it. Yeah. <laughs> what did uh, Jim Cutler say? That ampersand is undeniably groovy. <laughs> is that what he said? Yeah, man. I don't remember that. I think he had at least 24 to 72 hours of unfettered creative energy in him when he put that press <laughs> release up. Probably so. Uh, lastly, I've grown tired of the negative Vega talk, although ultimately a crappy car doesn't matter when you look at it through the realm of advertising dollars. A crappy product does not always equal a crappy or second-rate advertising firm. Chevy pumped a ton of dough in advertising to Vega, ultimately enough to get it Motor Trend Car of the Year status. Remember, in history, the oil embargo is coming, and the time people were dumping their Thunderbirds, Mustangs, and Cadillacs for small economy cars like the Vega and Pinto. Oh, there's two. Right. There's two names chiseled on the Mount Rushmore automotive <laughs> uh, <laughs> automotive industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we know these two how those car how these two cars ended up. But before the fall and demise, they made a heck of a lot of money for Chevy. Let's just hope the Chevy execs like Smarmy Pete and also. Pete doesn't net accidentally kill someone with a twenty-two long rifle and lose the deal. I tweeted. I, I, I didn't tweet. I Facebooked on Facebook the fact that uh, the secretary disparaging the lethality of the twenty-two long rifle cartridge uh-huh. or round rather has to mean that someone's going to be killed by it, right? You think? Yeah, or he's... maybe shot by it, not killed by it because it's only a twenty-two. Oh, so it's a total lampshading of it. Maybe I don't know. I wouldn't want to be shot with a twenty-two. No, I wouldn't. So everybody, want to be. everybody, everyone's saying all the bullshit round it is. Stand in front of one and get shot by it. Yeah, it can certainly kill you. Uh, Jill says Sally Draper here checking in. I'm your listener who relates to Mad Men through the Sally character. I've always thought I am the same age as Don's girl and I have some of the same cultural memories of this character. Hey now, 
hey now, watch out after this week. <laughs> I am no Tom Lorenzo, but in both these past two weeks, Sally has been outfitted in a facsimile of a dress I had at her age. Plaid above the knee, the drop waist and white collar and cuffs. The rounded collar is called Peter Pan collar. <laughs> I not only have a memory of this dress, I also have my high school or my school picture taken in it, so it's part of my permanent record. Watch out. I also have the flower power stickers that were attached as decorations on the dorm room at the boarding school. Here's what I love about the art direction on the show. I'd forgotten the dress and the stickers until I saw them again. It's been 40 years, but a completely accurate element of the era. One thought about Glenn Bishop. Last season, I heard you guys talking about why he would be at a boarding school. Here's what I know about this. Boarding school exists for children from divorced families for the most part. When Sally comes home, uh, when Ka- while Sally comes from such a home, her experience would not be typical. Here's how it usually goes. Mom and dad have a child, and then they divorce. Mom gets busy and remarries another guy who does not love or even like the child. Especially if the kid is a boy, it's all about who's top dog and first to mom's love and affection. New hubby does not want to share or even be reminded of his bride's previous marriage, especially if the kid is creepy like Glenn. (laughs) True life. He wanted a lock of of Francis' hair, and uh, he was not cool with that. (laughs) So off young man is whisk, out of sight and out of mind. Remember how Glenn explained divorce to Sally in an earlier episode? This is the other piece of it. Wow. That's, That's sad and disturbing. It's sad turban. Yeah, and we we see that in the episode, too. I mean, those girls immediately assume that her mother is fat and un, not married again, right? Uh, she they, corrects They were them, so close to being factual there. They, totally, yeah. Six months before, totally accurate. If it wasn't for the shot she's been receiving that gives her unfettered, unfettered <laughs> energy and creativity, she'd, she'd still be there. Yep. Tyler W. says, this show never disappoints. I've never had... You know what? When's the last time you've been disappointed by a Mad Men episode? The first time I watched season one, I didn't like it. Mm. Got through like three episodes, didn't didn't care to continue. Mm. That was the last time. I feel like there's there's one episode in midpoint in season two where I was kind of like meh on. Yeah, but with Mad Men, meh. That's still executing at a fuck fucking high level. Yeah, and there's no reason to stop watching on a meh episode. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like I can remember every episode since, like, The Sword and the Chrysanthemum, and they've all been fucking amazing. Oh, jeez. Uh, anyway, when Ken got shot, I thought he was dead, and I was screaming, fuck you, Mad Men. Appalled that they would just be so nonchalant and realistic about killing off one of my favorite characters. Yeah, you and everyone on Twitter. <laughs> but when I saw he's still alive, it was a wave of major relief. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. But then the cherry on top was laughing super hard when Ken squirted out a few tears and lifted up his eye patch to dab his eye. Fucking priceless. All that being said, I'm looking forward to the finale. Me and you both, Tyler. Pete from Dorset says, I watched this week's episode on Monday morning and listened to the podcast for Far Away Places, season five, episode six, while I was out in the ca- afternoon. Are you ready to pat yourself on the back about how brilliant we are? Totally, completely. You got your arm ready? Uh-huh, here we go. In light of the action of this week's episode, the following exchange seemed particularly pertinent. Jim, we talked about this last episode. Don is not a nice guy. Aaron, no, he's a monster. Jim, yeah, Aaron, he's a sympathetic monster <laughs> because you see everything that's happened to him in his life to get to this point, Jim, and he's a. Pro- well, you know what? We should do this as a play. All right, yeah, let's do this. Okay, let's go back All right, to the start over. Here. So we talked about this last episode. Don is not a nice guy. No, he's a monster. Yeah, he's a sympathetic monster because you see everything that's happened to him in his life to get to this point, and he's a product of the time to a large degree. He's a product of the time, product of his upbringing and circumstances there, but there's still a little bit of American Psycho, <laughs> a monster in the scene. 
And the line that destroyed Don when Peggy spat at him with a shake of the head. You're a monster. A monster. You totally called it, man. Yeah, thank you. I can only presume the wiener is an avid listener to the Happy Hour podcast. I want to let you know through a subtle callback to one of your conversations from last year. Yeah. Well, if that's true, I want residuals. Sure. You just educated me on the wrong damn topic, Matt Wiener. (laughs) Dan in London says, just going back through last week's episode and your discussion about Don's squeaky shoes, you two felt it was probably something which happened randomly while filming and they decided to leave it in. Uh, I did not say that. That was Jim's dumbass idea. That was me. I still believe it firmly. Don't believe it, guys. The wiener has his prints on every second. The squeaks in Don's shoes are representing the squeaks of Peggy's rat, which also mm. caught and mortally wounded during the episode. Oh, my God. He's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good That's a good take. Like the rat, Don wiggles one way, then the other in the lobby, but he's trapped and has nowhere to go. Stan's advice to Peggy was to leave it to bleed out. He'll be dead by the morning. Has Don now been mortally wounded? We're just now... Going to spend our time watching him bleed out? He's all curled up in a fetal position, ready to die. Wow. Yeah, man. That's, wow. That's a good take. I really like it. And uh, Wow, Dan. That's solid. Thank I you. I just believe that they came up with that after filming the whole episode. <laughs> Decided to leave it in. Rachel in Cleveland asked, Did you guys notice that in the scene where Betty and Don are on the phone, there's a box of Carnation Instant Breakfast in the glass next to Betty on a counter? Hmm. When Don pitched a Carnation in CA, he described the product as an adult breakfast to step up from children's cereal. In previous seasons, Betty has been portrayed as childish and immature, but now she's having an adult's breakfast. The Wieners really played Betty's maturation up these past two seasons. I'm excited to see where her story ends. The look on Betty's face when Sally said that her father had never given her anything reveals so much about how far her character has come. She's actually looked concerned about Sally's relationship with Don. Had the same conversation gone down in the beginning of the season, Betty revealed, reveled in Don's apparent failure, subtle though it may be. I'm also wondering if drinking things like Carnation Instant Breakfast is how Betty lost all that weight so fast. It certainly wasn't the Raisin Bran. Yeah, and it, it was a rapid weight loss, man. I think Didn't we calculate yeah, it that was. it was under four months? Uh-huh. Uh yeah. You do it. It's uh, it's possible. It's possible, but I think you need more than carnations helping you out. Well, so her point here is her her major point aside from carnation is that she has matured over the last well she says two seasons. I would buy maybe the last half season because we have seen her in this season be very petty when it comes to uh Don and Megan's relationship and going so far as to use Sally as a proxy to try to break them up uh, and cause problems there. So, I mean, now I would say, yeah, she's starting to mature. I mean, if you look at the way she handles Sally, she's starting to not give in and not get pissed off when Sally is uh, kind of saying hurtful things to her, right? Mm. I mean, she's understanding I need to deal with this in a different way than to try to be a bitch back. Right. So I think, yeah, maybe maybe she is... uh, maturing a little bit but it but it's a pretty recent development in my opinion right on uh last but not least cynthia patron saint of amazon workers everywhere b i love some they show the quality of mercy it was so good i thought my head would explode i hope we find out more details of the bob benson story i'm so curious bob aka the talented mr ripley have you seen that movie that is not the piano player, is it? No, it's Jude Law, okay. <laughs> uh, Matt Damon. No, I haven't seen that. Philip Seymour Hoffman, the Hoffmeister. Nope. No, but it, I need to see it now. You do. It's That's pretty fucking awesome. Powerhouse acting. 
Bob, aka the talented Mr. Ripley, didn't argue at all when Bob when Pete tells Bob that he's alive. All Bob wanted a day is a day's head start to run away. Wow. Yeah, what the fuck was he gonna do? Who? Pete or a Bob with a day a dead day's head start. <laughs> well, I'm I'm scared to think. It it frightens me yeah. to think what you could do with a day, Bob. Uh, I never brought the theories about Bob being a spy slash plan. It didn't make any sense. If a competitor wanted to know what they're doing, the competitor would have just hired out one of the agency's mid-level employees, uh, a Harry Crane, for example. If it was the government, the FBI would have just brought in someone for questioning and would have overreached. Remember the J. Edgar Hoover was in charge in the FBI until 72, so they didn't worry about pesky things like people's constitutional rights. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they still don't. <laughs> Greetings to all the NSA agents listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. I thought we didn't get political on this Welcome thing. to the bald move after this. I'm not getting political. I mean, is f- f- fucking being concerned about the government spying on you political? Not everyone is on the same side of that as you are. Really? There's I people that am, are like but... totally, totally, oh, hell yeah. totally on board. Yes, there are. I guess that's true. Actually, um, yeah, I was surprised at some of the people that did. <laughs> uh, We're not getting political. Let's drop I'm this. not. All right. Really? I was going to say that uh, Mr. Simon of the Wire fame actually came out in favor of it and said it was completely really? constitutional. Wrote a big, long blog post about it. All right. I'll have to read that. I'm actually curious as to uh, why he would defend it. Uh, don't you love how complex Rapey Pete is becoming? That's copyrighted <laughs> the Mad Men uh, Yeah, recap. we prefer GLP, please. The GLP. He's so interesting and compelling, even though I hate him. I don't think the Don is the most interesting character anymore, Petty, Betty, Sally, and Peggy are so much more interesting. Hmm. I don't know if I buy that, Cynthia, but you've got a compelling case that you could name five or six characters as compelling as Don at this point. Yeah. Most char- most shows are lucky to have one or two. They've killed off characters that are as compelling as Don and still have tons left. Hell yeah. It's crazy. Uh, what's fun is to see these women have his number now. So do Pe- Pete and Ted. Don is so unimportant in the office in his personal life. Everyone just does their own thing working around Don. He can't be close to anyone and no one trusts him. But what do you expect from a functional alcoholic? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Don, you know, Don has uh, come a long way. It's interesting because, yeah, he is kind of of shit. He's been sleepwalking through his job since like some point towards the end of season four. Yet he still can flash out these Don Draper moments like completely eviscerating ted in a conference room while everyone yeah, hails is, him as a hero it's amazing if you don't mind him being an asshole is a brilliant move right i mean i so, suppose yeah it was it was well executed we'll say that his, right. his goal was well executed there and i think to some degree maybe ted needed that a little bit because if don had approached him um and just said hey ted i think you're you're really fucking up here. It wouldn't have been as effective, in my opinion, uh-huh. as what he really did. I mean, it it made Ted sit up and go, oh, yeah, everyone sees this. Like, he, he expected Don to out him right there in the meeting. Yeah. Well. And so getting his. I don't know that. I think he was just like. You really expected him to out? No, I, I think that's what Ted was thinking. I don't think I don't know what Ted. I, he was like his mind was white static. It was, and that's why he didn't say anything, right? Uh, so it, maybe it's a good thing that it was white static at that point. 
But I, Ted needed a kick in Let the pants, and this. Don talks Do you think wouldn't Ted was – okay. Do you think Ted realized at, a, at, at, at what conscious level did, was Ted aware of his impairment regarding Peggy? Are you talking before or after the meeting? <laughs> before the meeting. Before the meeting, I don't think he was aware of it. it I mean, Don, Don that, says so as much. What, we've, we've all been there, right? So do you feel like that he was in total free fall during this meeting? Like, oh, God, oh, God, Don has done this. He sussed it out. He's seen my inner soul. He yeah. thought he was, like, keeping all this hidden? Well, no, no, because, like I said, I don't think Ted even acknowledged that that something uh, improper was happening here. Right. I mean, he certainly knew that he and Peggy had some sort of rapport together, but he had not said, I am doing things because of that. Right on. Uh, so when Don hit him with that during the meeting, it forced it like it not only put fear into him, but it forced him to confront that fact. And and honestly, I thought that was kind of brilliant of Don because he used that, you know, Ted's horror to really sell the client on the lie. Yeah. You know, Good like point. like Ted sitting there gaping like a landed fish lead, led credence to the fact that Don's like, he's just embarrassed to talk about this. Look at him. Yeah. Look at him. He's fucking <laughs> embarrassed. Uh-huh. He's, 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 he's shedding his own skin over there. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was like the brilliant part that by not priming, because Don could have easily said, hey, let's play the Frank G angle. Uh-huh. Before the meeting, uh, before sure, the meeting, yeah. but he did that deliberately to well, a because he's for, an asshole, <laughs> and and for emotion, for maximum emotional devastation and effect, but also yeah, because it got a convincing performance out of Teddy, which True. helped sell the lie. Good point. Good point. Uh, thanks for that, Cynthia. Are we done? Are we? We're ready? done, man. That's uh, it. Uh, one more episode to go. Are, uh, are we going to do? Let's not commit to doing a wrap up cast yet. Okay, not yet. We got to but... see. We got to see how much feedback we get next week. What kind of I mean, Wiener could stink it up. We could be, like, done with this show. <laughs> we could be. Uh, but anyway, we got at least one way or more week to go. If you'd like to send us feedback, do so at madmen about... Blah, 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 blah. Let's start this over. <laughs> do so at madmen at baldmove.com. If you'd like to join us for our weekly Facebook threads on Mad Men, uh, you can do so at baldmove... Shit. At facebook.com slash baldmove. <laughs> Follow Jim's live tweets at Twitter at baldmove. And that is it, man. That's a wrap. We that can't even it. speak anymore. It's Canadian Club. And we are podcast four hours spent. of podcasting, and yeah, it's been a good love night. It. All right, well, we will have this up for you guys soon. Uh, like Aaron said, next week is it. Until then, I'm Jim. Hold on to your butts. I'm Aaron. <laughs>